Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Hannah Sullivan, of course, the news broke yesterday that she died from terminal cancer at the age of 61. She was the ma'am who uh, Anne Mooney and the son this morning says was left alive to suffer after a husband and son murdered her oldest boy and then took their own lives. Well, she died yesterday after her long battle uh, with cancer and that makes many of the papers this morning. Uh, it really is a tragic, tragic uh, horror story involving the O'Sullivan family, and she will be laid to rest. Um, papers also today talk about issues involving the C word, obviously. Trying to accentuate the positive, I found a story in the mail this morning where they say that the government is looking at reopening hairdressers, church services, and retail. Um, any time around the 4th of May. That's the date. So there's another date for your diary there with regards to uh, things that we might be able to do across, uh, certainly from Monday and then the next big move, early May. But the Taoiseach is asking people to stop with all of the complaining and stop with all of the negativity, particularly regarding the vaccine program. It's being surrounded by way too much negativity, he says. Actually, you can kind of see why he might say that because we are looking at uh, millions. They're talking about 4 million vaccine doses between now and the end of June. So a lot, a lot of people by the start of July will have had at least the first dose. Not not everybody, obviously, because like, 4 million vaccine doses, some of those could be going to second doses as well as first. Uh, but um, they, of course, the issues involving AstraZeneca continue uh, to dominate with the mirror talking about the unusual blood clots. Um, which is a very rare side effect of the AstraZeneca jab. And that makes uh, many of the papers also today. There's a lot to talk about it, not just here, but right across Europe. But more people uh, who apparently are being offered the vaccine when they shouldn't includes the front page of The Independent this morning where they talk of uh, the Matter Board, the Matter Hospital's board being offered vaccines that were actually delivered for frontline staff. And all the board members of the Matter in Dublin were offered a COVID-19 vaccine, which was delivered for frontline healthcare workers. Now, it doesn't say how many, certainly not all of the board accepted it, but it's fair to say that some board members accepted the offer. And that's a story that makes the front pages. Teachers dominate much of the news this morning and have for a few days. Not all teachers actually are happy with the uh, threat of strike. The the Mail this morning talks with some teachers who are said to be uh, disgusted. Uh, that a motion was point uh, was passed yesterday. Uh, one chap in particular says he would consider leaving the INTO if the strike is held. But there it is nonetheless. Meanwhile, RTE and uh, their staff within the public sector had a vote yesterday and they rejected anything that would propose any sort of uh, pay cut within RTE. 87% of them said no to any kind of proposal to slash pay. RTE has to find money and find lots of it. Uh, Bizarrely, actually, last year RTE made a profit for the first time in in a long time. But other than that, they're hemorrhaging cash. So apparently the pay cuts would have been worth about 8.3 million to RTE, but it was rejected by staff. There were other aspects, actually, to the ballot yesterday that were quite interesting. Some of them had to do uh, with uh, sick pay uh, and, you know, um, sick time. They have two different sets within sections of the public sector. One is the official uh, sick pay and time off when you're sick, and the other is kind of like an unofficial one where you have uh, days that you can take yourself, which is a bit bizarre, 
uh, when you're in the private sector hearing things like that, like days that you can go sick without having to give any information or present anything with regards to as to why you're sick. They're, I guess some might call them almost like glorified holiday days, but there you have it nonetheless. And you know who is sweeping it up these days? Supermarkets. The Mirror this morning talk about in three months, there was 235 million euros spent on groceries. It's so busy in supermarkets now. Have you noticed it, regardless of where you go? Uh, I think it might be an issue that you see quite a lot in uh, in Duns. Anytime that I pop into Duns, uh, I don't see it as much in, in say, Tesco. And I, I don't know a whole lot about Lidl or Aldi. But where you will find an awful lot of people with trolleys queuing in the aisles now with the trolleys. It's got that busy. And that's in spite of the fact that they seem to be controlling the amount of people that are allowed into the actual supermarket. But it still seems really, really busy in them. Uh, and then you have people, if you're trying to do your shopping in the aisles, where you can't get to the shelves. Because they literally are misfortunes who are trying to do their shopping with their big trolleys, queuing all the way down the aisles. So sales are booming in supermarkets. And uh, uh, they talk about it in the mirror today. They also talk also about the amount of off-license, off-trade, uh, particularly with regards to the male who concentrate on pints of the, or I suppose cans or tins of the black stuff. They say a pint of plain is your only can. Shop sales of the black stuff is soaring with people drinking at home. And I suppose when the weather is good, you also notice in supermarkets now, they're going to be rolling out more and more barbecue offers. That's good, right? Because we're in April and soon we'll be in May and we'll be into the summer and what have you. And, and with that in mind, and the changes, of course, to uh, lockdown restrictions, more and more of the city is going to p- p- pedestrianise. Now, when this was proposed some time back, uh, city council were dead against it. But along comes COVID and everything changes. Uh, and I think it's going to be great, really. You know, you need to prioritise people, don't you? I mean, it's fine, courier drivers and People who drive for a living and those that need to get around the city to make deliveries, that's fine. But for everybody else, really, we need to change the way we look at our city with regards to driving through it and access to smaller streets. So there's gonna, they're gonna pedestrianize 17 of them across the city. And that, of course, will allow businesses and retailers and those who have coffee shops and, and restaurants and gastro pubs and even pubs themselves to allow punters outdoors like they do in many European cities. And I think that's incredibly positive. So it's great news. And they're talking about Oliver Plunkett Street and Cook Street. And they're talking about Pembroke Street and Princess Street. And they're, they're talking about other areas. Never mind what's going down in the marina, which is fantastic. And they're going to roll out more down there. So all that's good. Simon, make the papers as well, because they have um, lodged plans now for a new residential development. I'm reading in the Echo this morning. This residential development for Simon uh, will be down in the um, Alfred Street, Railway Street area. Do you remember the the old Saab car dealership, that's where it will be. So you'll have 78 residential housing units, 29 large studio apartments and 43 one-bedroom units and six two-bedroom units. So it's a story that uh, I was reading yesterday because the likes of uh, Simon and indeed Katrina Toomey are saying that it's desperately needed. Katrina Toomey at Penny Dinner said the current situation is so awful. We are losing far too many people, unfortunately. Uh, we need to drive projects like Simon for more residential care, places for people to live. And we also need to get our act together when it comes to treatment centres for people who are on the streets or homeless. South Stock in Blackpool is going to reopen by the end of April. So that's great news. And of course, a little later on this morning, we'll have another look at Eve, at, uh, as, they, as they call her in this morning's son, Evil Molly Martins and her dad, Thomas. And there they are, photographed strolling out of prison last night after they posted bail. They're facing a retrial, but as Ralph Regal says that could be a long time before it ever gets to court. So we'll deal with that story a little later on and the timeline behind this brutal killing of a man. 
Jason Gore. But the difference about the retrial, of course, for murder for these two is that... Um, this time round, you will find that Jason Corbett's kids will give evidence in court. And, of course, we see uh, the um, Masters starting at Augusta. All's right with the world for many people because the Augusta Masters starts today. Tiger Woods won't be there, but he does make the papers this morning. Apparently, when he crashed and hit the tree, he was driving 40 miles per hour over the limit. He hit the accelerator instead of the break, apparently, according to the Red Tops today. Uh, one other sporting-related story involves a fellow who... Um, he is a fellow called Andrew Green. He's 54 years old, and he sued Betfred because apparently he was playing some sort of a casino game and played it for a length. It was called Frankie Dettori's Magic 7. He was playing it on his phone. His stake or his bet was £100, and he played and he played and he played. After losing all but £3, he worked his way back with bonuses to £600,000 and then had one final play at £600,000. Beware of this gambling because I don't want you to think this is the way it always is. But that final play turned his 600,000 into 1.7 million pounds. And for four or five days, everybody was congratulating him that he was a millionaire until Betfred refused to pay out. They said that there was some kind of defect in the system. He sued them and yesterday he won his 1.7 million in court. Uh, so when they say that the bookies always win, uh, uh, not in this case. Let's open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. The Neil Prenderville Show. Lots of other stories, and I'll come back to them through the morning. But you can text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Pick up the phone on one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. And I think more and more these days, we get more and more examples of how you know we were hearing this mantra: "We're all in this together." Well, it was never true because your issues are yours, your worries are yours, your anxieties are yours. So we were never all in this together. No, sir, I don't think so. And what have we seen recently? Well, we've seen fighting over vaccine favoritism. We've seen cronyism in many different regards, particularly with the rollouts of uh, who's getting and who isn't. And you heard this morning about the board of directors of the matter is the latest list. God knows. We have teachers threatening strikes. And right in the middle of COVID, we had TDs taking more pay increases right in the middle of a worldwide depression. TDs taking pay increases. We have RTE broke and the staff refusing pay cuts while the private private sector is totally decimated. You're looking at job losses, you're looking at businesses closed, you're looking at private sector workers' pay slashed. Many of their pay was slashed 12 months ago with the very little prospect of it being reversed anytime soon. And now we're hearing of doctors withdrawing from the vaccination scheme. Why? Well, because of intimidation from patients. So we're not all in this together. We have uh, the hairdressers and the beauty industry booming in the black market. And of course, we have GAA and sports training going on early mornings, late at night in defiance of lockdown. So that's that's where we're at, really, with regards to all in this together, you know. And with that in mind, so an interesting article make the echo over the past couple of days where they were talking about the fact that it's very unfair on the law abiding people and the businesses of Cork who are being undercut and their business decimated before they ever get back open again by those who are working in the black economy, particularly hair care, uh, beauty treatments. And let's be honest about it, an awful lot of people are 
having beauty treatments done. They really are. I'm not here to shop anybody. I'm not here to whistleblow on anybody. But I think we know that a lot are. And they were talking in the echo to one particular hairdresser who was saying, most of the people I'm meeting have had their hair done Uh, And by the law of averages, not all of these people are in a bubble with a hairdresser. The hairdresser says, I'm seeing a lot of precision cuts with men as well walking around with things called fresh fresh fades. Whatever they are, it must be some sort of a barbering technique, I suppose. I'm seeing highlights. Uh, One lady offered me treble her normal rate, they told the Echo. The people who are committing welfare fraud should be caught and prosecuted, she told the Echo. And then they spoke with Susan Ryan. And at this point, I'm going to pick up my own conversation with Susan Ryan by phone this morning. Susan, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Susan Ryan, beauty salon on the South Main Street. And you then picked up the article in the Echo and you continued with the interview where you said business has been done on the quiet, yeah? Yes, it is. It's happening wholesale. And you can tell, you can tell, you can tell somebody's nails that are done professionally, can you? Absolutely. Like, I'm in the beauty industry now 42 years. I am, I was the very, very first nail technician in all of Ireland. And I'm the longest continuous working at nails in the whole of the country. So there is nothing I don't know about nails and the industry yeah. and what I'm looking at on someone's hands. Yeah. Do you ask them or anything or you can just tell? I can tell. Yeah, yeah. I could tell 10 paces away. And you were saying that if, if you, say on average, if you were to charge 50 euro for a particular nail service, you might yeah. end up with actually keeping 10 of that, is it? That would be about right, 10, 15, sometimes 20. It would depend on the cost of the service. It, in other words, the cost of the product and the, the, the rate that the girl is working at or the rate that I, I would be working at. Yeah. So it, it, it does depend. But the, a, the, a massive chunk is gone out of anything that comes, comes over the counter with ongoing expenses. Normal, everyday business expenses. Whereas the girl or the guy, for that matter, who's on the road bringing their working tackle with them, Mm-hmm. That's profit, right? Isn't it? Well, apart totally from pro- apart from product, like yes, apart from product, apart from product. And on top of that, you've got many of them on the COVID payment. Totally. So when this is all over, how do you know that many of your clients will actually come back if they they may opt to continue with this um, well, you know, in, mobile there service? Is, there is the problem. Um, you see, the the, the issue. It's not just the working from home at the moment. That everybody is entitled to an income and everybody's entitled to, to work at what they are trained at. But for the most part, most, most of the, the industry that, that, we, that we have, 88.9% of them are female. Now, in beauty, is that what you're saying, in beauty? 88% is in hair and beauty. And 88.9% is an actual fact of female within the industry. But you do know there's a lot of, of male hairdressers, for instance. Yes, but I'm saying that's the balance. 88.9% are female. Okay, okay. So, with, like, Habic, which is the Hair and Beauty Industry Confederation, which was started about four years ago. I tried to start it maybe 15 years ago, and I kind of, it didn't really kind of come round. I didn't manage it. But a, a group in Dublin now, and... Uh, have started this about five years ago and they've been petitioning the government particularly. So they employed an economist, a a man called Jim Power, and what he discovered was 500 million is within the black economy of work and services, which is an absolute loss of 55 million to the revenue alone. Wait a second, half a billion is what? In the black economy in general, is it? In the black economy, that's what's being lost. 
through uh, what's not coming into regularised businesses. Right. So if the work isn't coming into a regularised business, we can't employ more people because the work isn't there for them to do. Yeah. Because uh, Therefore, there's no tax being paid because we're not employing them to pay the tax. Yeah. So that's what's being lost. It's the, it's the bigger picture. So this attitude of, Asher, there's only a little bit of pin money. What are you on about? It's the, when you take the whole industry, uh, hair, nails and beauty and barbering, put all of that into one basket and what's being lost to the, to, the, to the industry is a minimum of 500 million every year. Which is a minimum of five fifty-five million alone in revenue. But that will only change if if the if revenue or if if the courts prosecute people. Well, or if there if others report them, and who wants to be a whistleblower? Like we all know of people who've had their hair done. But I'm damned if you I'm going to pick for, up the phone and report I them. I think for an awful lot of us in the industry, it was it, like I had my own. Uh, ship to sail. I was looking after my own staff, my own business, my own income. And what happened outside of that, you know, it bugged me, it annoyed me, I felt it was unfair until COVID hit. So we're not all in the same boat as you put it. And but, that's very, very unfair but, on those of us who have abided by the rules and stayed closed. Okay, so and while you can... so while you can, is thriving in the background. Okay, but, okay. Uh, uh, actually, just on that point, you, you were threatening to reopen, but, but you didn't. Why, why did you have a change of heart? Why did I have a change of heart? Number one, it was the threats on social media that I received were rather frightening. From the public, is it? Oh, the public. Um, balancing that were all the... the, um, the, the uh, kind of promising ones and those who are saying Look, go for it but hold on a second when you say threats in, in what way shape or form threats threats like um, windows um, one said I'll break your legs um, you know and mostly just nasty nasty comments so I but you do that, know you do know that they're just that's BS they're never gonna break your legs I so. know that and I'm a strong person Neil and I don't take things lying down either. But were you rattled by that? Um, a bit. Yes, I would say a bit. I was. So, uh, can you imagine somebody younger, weaker, um, and more vulnerable listening to... I was never trolled on social media ever in my life. Mm. Ever. Mm. And I, I just never experienced it. How did it make I, you feel? It's like a form um, of assault, isn't it? A, a bit, yeah, a bit of an assault. Um, now, and I don't mind a good old banter. I don't. Of course, someone has their opinion. I have my opinion, and then you, you, you know, you banter it out on Facebook. So, did you respond to those threats and those intimidating no, messages? No, no, didn't even answer them. Didn't even say you're talking through your backside. I did say I said nothing. Um, but aside from that, it's very difficult to be a lone voice standing in my own shop when nobody else will stand with you. Everybody was saying, you go, girl, you do that. You open and, you know, we'll be there and we'll open when you open. Bugger that. Either you're with me or you're not. So I I decided I wasn't facing a a, a two and a half thousand fine and I also did not want to be arrested. And nor did you want your front plate glass window smashed in? Totally. Yeah, yeah. You see, okay, so while you you talk about nails and and you can tell that they're being done, some women, and this is more hair than nails, obviously, but Mm -hmm. some women would argue uh, that they have to get certain hair appointments done. Like, for an example, like women who have 
said to me and I've got texts who have had hair extensions in for months on end and just being practical about this and they say the hair begins to mat into huge clumps some are actually physically in pain they almost turn into dreadlocks at the back of their head they could risk losing their hair they could risk ball spots if the extensions are not taken out so they would beg and plead a hairdresser to pay and pay him twice and, or and three any hairdresser worth her salt would oblige because th- there are exceptions to every rule I totally agree with that but I have a, I have clients who are going through electrolysis facial hair removal where they have hormone issues and they have ovarian issues and they have quite a lot of facial hair they're back shaving that but surely a special dispensation should be made for clients like that but nobody is, is doing it nobody will allow it it's still breaking the law if I was to go through my list of electrolysis clients and say You're, you can still come in. It's against the law. I'm not allowed to do it. Yeah. Do you feel any more optimistic now that we seem to be getting a, a bit of a signpost saying that it could be um, May 4th for hairdressers, church services, retailers? Provided they're vaccinated, yes, of Read course. Read the small print. Yes, of course, you're so right, yeah. It would only be for those who have been fully vaccinated, wouldn't it? And most of us in the industry, me the exception, are young, so they're not in the category of urgency. Their clients might be. Yes. In fact, but that's going to cause that's going to cause a lot of grief as well between again, the vaccinated. Totally, totally not thought through. No, in, in the sense that the, there, there's be a lot of disharmony and disquiet amongst those who are vaccinated and those who aren't, because those who are will be able to do an awful lot more across the summer than those that can. I mean, mm-hmm. you're going to have exactly. a situation where people who've been fully vaccinated will be able to go on overseas holidays in July, Absolutely. and the unvaccinated won't. Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's totally not joined up thinking again. So, unless you're vaccinated, for, read the print for those who are vaccinated, which means the clients could be vaccinated, but you're not. And the younger generation who are in this business are last on the list to be done. So, it's not looking very positive for that either. Let so, that little soundbite is a, is a total ridiculous statement. Okay, okay. Somebody asking here, Neil, have you had your hair and nails done? Obviously, the clear and obvious, honest answer to that is no. I, well, I did buy um, a barber scissors. Jesus, Susan, they're sharp. You want to be careful with those things. <laughs> so I, okay, I admit I have cut my husband's hair badly. <laughs> <laughs> Very that's badly. Not, that's not an admission of guilt. We leave it to the professionals. Hold on there a second. Professionals okay. like Eileen, good morning. Good morning. Okay, did you want to pick up on this? Have you been asked as a hairdresser? No, um, no, no, I'll tell you, I'm not a professional at all. <laughs> sorry, on, pardon me, on hairdressers, my, my apologies. That's right, yeah. I'm a, pre- a professional give out. You asked a hairdresser or something, <laughs> did you? I'll tell you now, um, a neighbour of mine was having a hairdresser into the house to do um, a number of hair um, appointments, you know, for different people or family members so I was just being the devil's advocate really need and I just texted and I said listen would you ask your hairdresser is there any chance she would do my hair I'm I'm disgraceful now I'm I'm blonde I'm grey I'm dark brown I'm every colour you can imagine on my head yeah. and uh, the answer the hairdresser gave my friend back was oh I'm only doing my regulars Okay, now Neil, you just said there two minutes ago, you know, that nobody's going to job anybody in or anything else. Okay, now, you know what, Neil, that day I was very tempted to take that person's carriage and report that person. 
and I'll tell you why. Well, I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I'm just saying I personally would be uncomfortable doing that. That's that's just me. And, and you know me. what? I've never, I've never done anything like that in my life. But I think it was the answer I got back really, you know, kind of incensed me. Like, it's not, oh, I'm sorry, you know, the brainy anything to do be say, look, I'm busy, I can't do it today or whatever. But to say, oh, no, like, I am doing hair, but I'm just not doing regulars. I mean, in what planet would that hairdresser on, will you tell me? Well, it's quite brazen, really, isn't it? Absolutely. And the fact that she was in a house in, in my location with her car outside the door, and I'm telling you, she is drawing a pop payment or whatever they call it. And you know how many how many do you think she had been doing in that home? Uh, I would tell you definitely five. So was that regarding a wedding or a funeral or something? Absolutely no. Absolutely not. It was just um, a case of needing haircuts, needing dyed hair. And, and, you know, the needs that we all have. You know, so if she I mean, was doing five... five um, Jump in on this, Susan, if you want. What kind of money yeah. would be made from five hairdos? Or whatever Depends how much she's doing. I mean, a minimum of 50 quid for a haircut, a dry cut. Um, and then up to maybe 120, 130 euro for a collar. Yeah, but, yeah, but not, in, yeah. Not, not in somebody's home. It would be less than Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Uh, and here, here is the other issue. It was my, my my own some of my own family go to over the, before COVID go go to houses to get the, a particular girl to get her hair done. She is just as expensive doing her yeah. hair doing hair in her kitchen as my as it would be for a person to go into a salon. Oh really? It's because they go there because they can park. It's out of town. It's easy and convenient, and that's why they do it. And there's so no tax. They're paying and no tax coming out of it. Nothing. Yeah. And on top of that, there is the pop payment that they also happen to forget Absolutely. that they, if they want to work in the black economy, well, at least stop taking... You pop payment if you've been paying your PRSI anyway. Yeah, but like, would you say that it would be okay for somebody to do it and withdraw from pop? No. Obviously. No. Yeah. Oh, no. No. And she No, Neil. The, the issue here, can I just go back to a point you made there? The problem is the vast majority of people in the industry are women and they do work from home and that is brilliant but they still should be within the tax net even if they're not making enough to pay tax and enough to get by at least be registered as a proper trained nail technician hairdresser or beautician mobile or otherwise or they're coming to your home so the problem is there are so many and the, the nail industry okay. is rife with this particular issue where they're learning stuff on YouTube and they think they're brilliant oh and they are they making money then from learning things disorder. they don't know the cosmetic chemistry and good nail uh, suppliers won't supply them so they're buying the most biggest rubbish in from abroad and they're then getting their, and then they're going to work with the knowledge they learned on YouTube listen and and some hairdressers are doing it. I know they've never seen the inside of um, of a training school. They have never been an apprentice in a salon. And I know that for an absolute fact. But that's bound to be a botched the job then on somebody's hair where you haven't trained. Surely. Listen, Neil. Look, you can't take something from someone who has nothing. So these are young ones. They're working away. They have nothing to be sued for. They've nothing to give. They have no insurance. You cannot get insurance without a proper certificate or diploma. Okay, a couple of texts on this, uh, Neil, on women and sisters and friends. They're all meeting in small groups and houses, Neil, getting the hair done together so that the hairdresser only has to come out once and does them all in the same house in one go. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's kind of clandestine. Hang on, Neil. She's going into another house in two hours' time with another yeah. five. 
Okay, another yeah. one here. My sister did my small kid's hair a few weeks back and she's never cut hair before. She did an unreal job. I'll never pay a barber again for my little boys or says Emma. That, that's somebody now who will never go back to a barber's because they found that they can do it themselves just as effectively. All right, okay. I'm sorry, okay, can yeah. I just say there, you know, all this is legislation by men and I'm, I'm not dissing men, okay? Mm-hmm. Why is the men's yeah. fault, please, if women, 88% of them being women in the industry are working in the black economy? Why are men to blame for that? No, why I'll tell you is the legislation is being made by men mostly. And if you look at the picture of, of, of like, your vice doesn't have a whole lot of hair himself. Um, a lot of the people in these, in the effort and all these, they don't have hair. They're not worried about hair. Hair isn't their glory. It isn't their, some of them are actually bald. So they have no worries about how their hair looks. So, yeah. <laughs> so we have a legislature, we have a legislature with bald men who aren't enforcing the black economy. Mean. They know it. I mean, I have written loads of emails to um, Leo Vrykker, Michal Martin, explaining the same thing. The economy is losing how much money in taxes on the black market, yet they're not worried about it. But if you look, I'm telling you, look at the hairstyles of most of these people. So because Michal Martin might be follically challenged, she's not terribly like interested. Like myself, me, like myself. But at the same time, you know, if if I'm follically challenged, I need to try and cover that because I'm a woman and women don't like to go around looking follically no, challenged. No, I mean, I know that men have a lot to be held accountable for, but not this one. Surely be the guy. I, I, I think so. I think they, they're the one legislating, aren't they, Neil? Who's legislating this? Who's, who came out this morning and said, oh, if you're vaccinated, you will be left through your hair early in May? Well, that's going to cause hassle with people who haven't been vaccinated. I know, I know, I know. Because, I mean, I haven't been vaccinated, so I'm being penalised. Is that it? Okay, let me get some more calls, texts on this. Anyway, we're looking at we're looking at early May. Will you get your staff back again, Susan, do you think? Um, well, of course, they'll, they'll, they'll come back. They're, they're jumping at the bit to get out of the house and, and come back to work. And, uh, and, and a whole cohort of students who are, you know, they need clients, they need to practice. So it, it, I have a, a registered, regulated training establishment. So, you know, the other issue really that we're trying to deal with within the industry is the apprenticeship scheme for, for hair, beauty, nails, barbers. Okay. Like, it needs to be taken more seriously by the government. There is okay. no regulation within the industry. There are no minimum standards of, of training. So they're and learning there no it on YouTube and they're heading there. off themselves then. Yeah. You know, okay. and, and this right. isn't good enough. All right. Okay, that's for another day. Appreciate it for now. Thank you, Susan. Best of luck. Hopefully we'll talk in the coming weeks. Now, the Echo then picked up on this, uh, this uh, conversation, as I said, and they looked at the POP uh, unemployment payment scheme, the pandemic unemployment payment scheme, contacted the Department of Social Protection, um, which put in this system in March of last year. And to date, over six billion has been paid in respect of the POP payment, six billion. Um, there's an awful lot more money paid out, actually, in different forms of uh, um, you know, COVID pandemic assistance, but six billion on pop. And the department said that the department will pursue vigorously any social welfare fraud cases before the courts. They say it's the department's policy to pursue these cases before the courts. And in 2020, 72,000 control reviews of pop claims were carried out by officers of the department, which means they looked at 72,000 reviews of pop claimants. And out of that 72,000, 24,000 claims in payment was stopped. 
So 24,000 of them were stopped. I don't know the reasons why. Clearly, they weren't entitled in one shape or form. They were claiming it when they shouldn't have been. But I don't know of how many of the 24,000 claims that were stopped will ever be prosecuted. That's possibly for another day. Text The Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Fear, just for fear, I forget as the day goes on. Please, happy birthday for my husband. He's 40 today. Today being, yeah, April 8th. I'm spot on. He'll be listening at around a quarter past nine. So I'm a little late with that. But could you wish him a happy birthday from his wife, Ailish, and his two little ones, Olive and Paddy. Uh, the best dad in the world. Yes, indeed. Happy birthday to you, to you, unnamed husband. Unfortunately, sometimes people send me requests and they give me all of the names of people who want to wish the person well, but they forget to give me the name of the person who they want to wish well. So I'm sure he knows who he is today. If you're 40 today, that request is for you. Meanwhile, back to the phone lines. We go, Martin, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. Now, uh, you uh, wanted to pick up on the teacher's ballot for industrial action. Go ahead. Yes, I did. Listen, I, I rang a couple of months ago, Neil. It's, it's not something I'm, I'm in the habit of doing, ringing, ringing you up. But I'm the father of two kids going to secondary school. And I'm genuinely concerned about their futures. Now, we all know that the pandemic has had a, a, a huge effect on everybody. But parents throughout the length and the breadth of the country have been trying to protect their children. And no matter what anybody says, the quality of education that they've received at home has not been up to standard. It hasn't been good enough. You, it can't be. You need one face-to-face with teachers day in, day out. You can't do it at home. They were what promised. They were, how would you feel if your employers promised you something? Then, they, then your employers took it away from you. I understand that. But no, but how would not. you feel? Listen, Neil, I'm a shop steward where I work. I'm used to dealing with situations okay. like that. And so in negotiations in the business where you were the shop steward, your promise something is the shop steward. You go back to your members and say, this is the way it's going to be. This is the what I've agreed with their employers. And then um, five or six weeks later, they come back and say, actually, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to do it differently. Okay, but why have they changed their mind? The, 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 why has the HSC, why the state, and FHS? Why have the government changed their mind? Because, you know why, because they're following okay, what they call, well, you, you the, call you the science of age. Last Thursday. You had a caller in last Thursday, and I, tell, I thought he, he hit the nail on the head. What have they got to say to the 60-year-old shop worker who's going to get fac- vaccinated before a 20-whatever-year-old teacher? These That's are unprecedented times, Neil. I understand completely, but I'm dealing with it on a level where I'm worried about my kids' future. The way you're talking, it's odd. You promised me this, I want this. That's the mentality of the kids that... No, I'm not. I'm trying to, I'm trying to be balanced. I get absolutely... Oh, ro- listen, listen st- Martin, you have no idea how much roasting I get from teachers every day. T- they think it's me. I mean, I mean they think it's... I, like, I, I understand that people are fed up um, in all walks of life. People have had enough of all of this. Like, and then also the numbers reflect that people have had enough of all of this. Uh, okay. You know, I, can, I, can, I make a few com- can I make a few comments there, Neil? Yeah, um, go ahead. You, you, you are very impartial. I think it's wrong that no, you're... No, I'm not impartial. I'm not... I'm in no way perfect, but I try and be balanced about it as best yeah. I can. Well, uh, can, I, can I bring something up in here? Number one is this, this whole phrase of teacher bashing. Where, where is that after coming from? From teachers. Uh, teacher bashing, right. So we're not allowed to criticize teachers. I don't know, man. They're just... There you go. No, let me hear, hear me out as well. They're, called, they're trying to align themselves with frontline workers. As far as I'm concerned, frontline workers are the people that are in A&E, ambulances. I read a report recently, Neil, where they're concerned about frontline workers, proper frontline workers, as in health staff, doctors, nurses, everything, suffering from PTSD. Yeah. After all this is over. How many teachers are going to suffer from PTSD? Teachers never had an issue with frontline medical workers in any way, they're shape, or form. To align, 
they're trying to align themselves with frontline workers. I heard it yesterday in Joe Duffy where there was teachers ringing in saying we're frontline workers. They're not frontline workers. They are frontline workers of a different... Okay, listen... They are of a different type to a medic and somebody working in a hospital. But they're still frontline. I mean, there are many different types of frontline workers. I get that. People working in retail are frontline workers. Taxi drivers are frontline workers. Couriers who are going in and out of various businesses... They, they can be deemed frontline because they're dealing with the public all of the time. But how many of these are ringing in your radio station complaining about the, all of this? No. The first I've heard from the guards is only recently when, they, when they're the same, but they're not piloting for strike action. No, I think, the, I think the guards have been amazing about all of this. Absolutely, uh, in, but they're not, they're not holding us to ransom like the teachers are, and they are, Neil. Now, listen, I've listened to all arguments I've, I've listened to, and as I say, I'm not a regular caller, and, and I'm not going to be, to be honest with you. What would teachers say if they were provided with the same PPE that our staff are working in COVID wards? What would they say to wear that all day, every day, to ensure their protection? Well, but imagine some do. All right, but... No, no I mean, when you say, oh, you're talking about full body I'm talking PPE. talking about the full PPE. The no, whole lot of but it, that wouldn't everything. be required. They're not in a medical setting where they are dealing with people in ICU and critical care. But, Neil, their argument is that they're dealing with 30-odd pupils in a class where they don't know what's coming in. They don't know what's coming in because they're dealing with 30-odd kids who go back to 30-odd families. Okay. And they do that seven or eight hours per day. Okay, but they're in a, they're, they have the option of being in a static position. They can be up at the front of the class where they can be two metres apart. They can have a perspex shield around their desk and they can be wearing full PPE. And are you telling me they're not going to be protected? With Listen. everything that we know about this virus, they're tell, you're telling me that they can't be protected? Um, they were complaining of my son's school during the year that they were cold because they had to leave the windows open. Try saying that to a bricklayer working out in the winter, or in the middle of nowhere in the winter building a house. So you it's think this just... Pri- it's, this pri- it's this privileged attitude that they have, Neil. Now listen, I've, I've listened to all sides, I've listened to everything, but the bottom line is that they're holding my kids' future to ransom. What if they got to say to the children that are presenting themselves at A&E with abdom- abdominal pains because they're under so much pressure? Is that from anxiety cramped from stress, is it? Yeah. Okay, okay. Right? What do they say to my son, who's eight weeks away from the leaving cert, and he's wondering what happens because the teachers are balloting for strike action? They got let down by the government. Norma Norma, the education minister, I can't remember her name. Norma Foley are spot on. Yeah, she hit the nail on the head a couple of weeks ago when she criticised the unions and said, I don't have... She was so frustrated on 6-1, you could actually see it in her. She was so frustrated. Just before I let you go there, I hear your your phone going. Have a listen to this. Listen, what happened to Neil is that she got berated by everybody. Yeah. I am spoke the truth. I am so sick of your teacher bashing, Neil. I listen to you every day, but now I'm turning you off until the teacher subject is over. My daughter is a teacher and she's worked extremely hard during lockdown. Also, she has elderly parents living at home who have not yet been vaccinated. They're 86 years old. My daughter doesn't know what the unions are going to come out with until it's aired on the news. She has no involvement in any of that. Of course, she wants elderly and vulnerable people vaccinated before her. Also, I know people getting vaccinated at the moment who shouldn't be. It beggars belief. I can tell you, I'm an angry mother of a school teacher. I asked her on and, sh- and she declined, but that was her text. Okay. Can I, can I make, I'll make one more point? I'll make one more point, Saudi, okay? and I'll leave it at this. Companies out there are giving their employees the options of not working, as in going on the POP because they have concerns about the COVID virus. 
teachers on the union say if they were given that option. The option of what? Of actually going out in the PUP volunteer or on the, on the PUP voluntarily because they're concerned about their work environment with regard to COVID. But they would only go on a PUP if they couldn't go to work. Not necessarily. There's a couple of companies out there, Neil, and I know of them, where they're saying, listen, you know, you're working in close proximity, whatever, and, you know, people are being let go because of their seniority. They have the option of actually withholding that seniority and going out sooner than they would normally would have so that they can be at home and they can stay protected. Okay, okay. Why can't they do something like that? But stop making excuses. It's not teacher bashing. It's criticism. Take the criticism. I've listened to you for a long time, <laughs> and, and you've... All sections of society have been criticised. There's nobody off limits. But for a teacher, teachers to come on, I've, I've listened to all their excuses, Neil, but the bottom line is my main concern is my kids' future. Okay, let's get some more calls okay. and texts on this. Okay. Thank okay. you for getting in touch, Martin. Yesterday, the independent.ie did a poll and just under 12,000 people voted on whether they think, say, for instance, one of the questions asked was whether they think Gardaí should be prioritised for the vaccine or not, whether they think teachers should be prioritised for the vaccine or not. Interestingly, Nearly 70%, 69% of the respondents said that the Gardee should be prioritized for the vaccine. So pretty much 70% said Gardee should be first. And 62% of them said teachers should not be prioritized. So there's a bit of a turn up where voters felt that it was Gardee should be prioritized and not teachers at all. In a third poll from independent.ie, it found that 56% of people voted and they said that they would not be willing to delay their own vaccine to allow the Gardee and the teachers to be vaccinated first. So that puts a bit of a spanner in the works where it just says that more than 50% of them said, yeah, we'd like to see the Gardee vaccinated way, be- way before the teachers, but I won't delay my own vaccination to allow that to happen. Text 0868104106 back after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Neil, I don't expect you to read this out, but if uh, but I'm a hospitality worker. If the teachers get their way and get the vaccines, I will then have to go to work in July in hospitality, unvaccinated, just so the teachers can have a jolly summer. I myself would then not be left to go to a restaurant, a pub or a hotel myself if this rule comes in and the teachers get their way. Also, I hope if teachers don't get vaccinated that they will stay out of hospitality settings because they fear for their lives. Lives, don't they? And that text to 0868104106. Christy's an ex-guard, a retired guard. Christy, just ahead of the news morning. Um, were you interested in that, in that uh, research from the Independent that said people would prefer, if it were between guards and teachers, that the guards would be vaccinated first? Well, Neil, I, 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 was, I was, but I'm not surprised because, I mean, they, I mean, I'm extremely proud of what the guards have done. I think they've been absolutely excellent. And for the first time in our lives, we're selling ourselves properly and we're letting the people out there know what we're doing. Your son's I a guard, think, yeah. is that right, Christy? I didn't know that. Sorry? Is your son a guard? Yeah. Oh, I never knew that. Okay, and does it? Yeah, well, I, I look now. It is, but the point about it is that I've got a, a wonderful daughter in ICU in Cork as well. But I suppose the, the, okay. the, the point I'm making Neil, is that um, you know, in these times of troubles, and I saw a lot of troubles in the, in the in the guards in my time in the guards and in life, is that you're there to help people. Now, I have no doubt in the world about it that 99 percent of the teachers who are teaching want to teach, but I think they're being they're being very extremely badly represented. 
I just think threatening, to, threatening these times to go on strike in the time of troubles, I think people won't forget that. But, but let's I, hold I on a second. Teacher the, the teachers will have to be voted on. They'll have to vote on this. What happens at Congress isn't necessarily how teachers feel. They will now all have to be balloted for strike action. Neil, I agree with you 100%. I, I remember a time when, when we were very militant and when lots of troubles were going on within our own situation. And on numerous occasions, the GRAs at the time were told to go where to go because I, I remember we, we, were, we were there to serve the people. I mean, it's a privilege to help people out in times of trouble. And I have no doubt in the world, I'm not even mentioning teachers and talking guards, and I'm, I'm actually talking about teachers I, I would know and in general comment I'm making is they're extremely dedicated to their pupils. Okay. And I think I think, I think they're being extremely badly represented. Do you feel, but you also do you feel, do you feel that do you feel that guards and teachers either or both are frontline workers? Well, Neil, I'd be honest with you. I, I, again, I talk to the guards from my own experience, right, of it. But I think the teachers' representations are throwing themselves in are they're hanging on to the guards at the moment. Uh, you'll see no representative on now, and I listen to a lot of radio and watch a lot of television, that they don't mention themselves in the guards. We are, uh, guards are a separate entity, and it's a totally different job. Totally. Because no, you don't know what the guards are going to face. So is you know, it a case the guards are frontline, but are teachers? You see, Neil, I, I, I'd be honest with you, I, I don't have an opinion on it because I, I, don't know, I don't know enough about teachers, but I'm sure if you go into a classroom, I mean, you're, in, you're endangering yourself, but at least if you go into a classroom, you can prepare for it. If you're in the garage, you can, you can you prepare for any situation. Not if somebody you spits know? and you're trying to arrest them, or as we've seen uh, evidence absolutely, of. Absolutely, well, one been there, that soldier. But I, I'm just saying, I, I, I'm also trying to bring a, a bit of balance to it, is that, that I, I think most people who know teachers know they're extremely dedicated and I'm, I'm making a general comment is that I think in times of troubles and in times of strife I talk from my own personally and in life I do find that for somebody to threaten in any way not to be there for people in times of trouble, even if you go to your own family or anything like that, I think the people there would seriously be found wanting. And I don't have a lot of time for people who don't put their shoulders to the wheel and help okay. people out in times of trouble. Okay, thank you for that, Christy. As always, back after 10, pick up the phone on 1850-104-106. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info what more could you need join me weekdays from four dave max drive emerald music station of the year Cork's red fm you betcha and uh, a lot of texts on different topics i think the rollout is not going as well as the government make it out they're saying we're working through specific groups and moving on to the next i go to a private physio which is essential and he told me on tuesday that he still has no date for his vaccine as per the updated roll-up plan, where do the physios fit in? Surely they're not going to be vaccinated by their age. They are frontline workers, aren't they? Dealing face-to-face with people with medical conditions. I'm a healthcare worker in Cork, caring for people with disabilities going into their homes since the pandemic started. We work for the HSE. We haven't been called for a vaccine. It's disheartening, says Mary. Now, what about putting the homeless on top of the vaccine list? They're putting up with enough as it is. From a street angels volunteer in Cork City. My grandmother's 97, still hasn't been vaccinated. She got an appointment to attend her GP to receive the vaccine, but unfortunately she's housebound in a wheelchair and couldn't attend. I'm from Hungary originally, in Ireland 17 years. I think the problem here is rolling out of the vaccine. In Hungary, more than a million people have received it by now. Everybody over 75, medical staff, and now they're starting on the 65s and the teachers. 
The problem is not with the teachers, it's the government. Stay safe, everybody, says Attila. Uh, our local GP and nurse are fabulous. For anyone that is in a wheelchair, they come out to vaccinate them in the car. It's the Little Island surgery. My husband's 75 with Alzheimer's. I'm his full-time carer who has asthma and stents in my arteries. Neither of us have been vaccinated. And just two or three more. Con says it's time for the government to wake up and start using venues like the huge empty Green Glens Arena in Mill Street as a drive-through vaccine. It's a no-brainer. Uh, what about a positive slant, Neil, to all this moaning? It's an indication that the vaccine uptake should be high with so many people moaning for it. That's got to be a positive. That's one of the most important factors in ending the pandemic is people getting vaccinated. It's very interesting. You talk about those that do and those that don't. An interesting text here says, um, a friend of mine got four different appointments for the vaccine. Four different appointments, the same person. Two for City Hall and two for the park down in Ballon Temple. Some people can't get one, which means that the system is in total disarray. So four different appointments um, all different times. I wonder if that individual is on four different people's lists, you know, might be on a consultant's list here, might be on a hospital list there, another might be a GP list, I don't know, but one person getting four different appointments, it's absolute mayhem. Um, If I want to give something positive, because it all seems to be so negative, my parents are in their late 60s. They'll be getting their second dose soon. They had no underlying health conditions. They're just lucky to have a GP and a quiet surgery. My mother-in-law is getting her second dose next week. I have two other immediate family members fully vaccinated already through healthcare work. And I know a lot of friends' parents are after getting the first dose and some are going for the second dose soon. That's great for all of them, but it, it's alarming how kind of willy-nilly the whole thing would seem to be, isn't it? When you hear texts like that and somebody else then getting four different appointments in two different venues. Um, lines are open on that one 106 and lots more besides. Back to the phone lines we go and I'll dip back into texts and emails. Adrian, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? Uh, you're not worried about whether you get it or not. Why? As in the vaccine, why? I've survived this long without I've been working the whole way through the pandemic. And the, and, and I suppose the more... The more uh, the, you, oh, do you? Why? Yeah, my wife works in a crash, like, so she, like, she, she's frontline worker, I suppose, as you call it, like, and they've, they've never been called for anything. Like, if the teachers get it, I think, the crashes get it, because, like, they're minding uh, uh, kids from the uh, teachers, like, you know what I mean? So, they deserve it as much as everyone else. Um, they, they, they've been working long before the teachers have been back to work. Well, well, that is true. A lot of yeah. the teachers are, are still doing the the Zoom and the online teaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like we we had to do both at home. Like we were working and doing we five kids at home. Like so, we we were uh, doing homeschooling as well. Like so, under like, the new system, like, does it change for the likes of crash workers that it now will be by age? I, I, she hasn't heard nothing. Absolutely nothing. They have no confirmation of anything happening. So. There's nothing at all happening. With and and I suppose, interestingly, would it be fair to say that the children in the crash, that some of them would be from different professions, including the children of teachers? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, there, there could be any frontline workers, like anybody's working with. But I think I think from next week on, it's it's all back, I think. The crashes are back full-time. Like, Correct. Think, you know, yeah, and schools, yeah. yeah. And schools, so, too. But, yeah. yeah, but she's been working the last five or six months there, no one about her, like, so... And did you take all of the precautions necessary yourself over the past 12 or 13 months, you did? Ah, uh, yeah, but like, I wouldn't be meeting many people. Like, my, my job, like, I, I, I collect milk from farms and stuff like so. The farmers were told, keep away from us. Like, they, they don't, they're not supposed to. We, we're, we're kind of do it all ourselves, really. Like, we don't and, need anybody near us. And in spite of your wife working in a creche all through this, COVID never got into the house? No, no, never. 
and like I, I mathematic myself, my wife has a kind of a heart uh, blood condition, like so. Because we both we kind of high risk, I suppose. Yeah. So, would your point be that if teachers feel a sense of entitlement to it because they were promised, so should crash workers who worked oh, all yeah, through the pandemic? Yeah, because like as I see, like the, the teachers are bringing their kids to the crash before they go to work in the morning, like so. They have to count to those people to mind their kids if they have to go to work. Do you think it's a better system that they're going by age? That it's pointless vaccinating a twenty-five-year-old teacher ahead of a sixty-five or a seventy-year-old? Uh, well, like I, I don't think it should go by age. I think like it should be done very fast. There's plenty of people in the country that are qualified to do this. Like a farmer can, a farmer can dose two hundred cows in the morning on his own, and like. We can't, we can't give 200 injections in a day. Yeah, like. but it's supply and demand, isn't it? I mean, let's be slightly more positive about this. Very soon we will hit the 1 million vaccine mark. Who'd have thought we'd be saying that? You know? Yeah, but the, the UK, they're like, they went through it very fast. Like, and, you know, like, they, they showed everybody else up. Like, I, I know they're having trouble getting the, getting the vaccines, like, but that shouldn't be, like. All right. Okay. Thanks for your input. Appreciate yeah. it. Regards to yourself and your wife, Vincent. Good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are All you? All right, Vincent. So, you got a vaccine yesterday. I did indeed. It's actually one million vaccines given out. Vaccinated in Ireland, we have 270,000 vaccinated. Ah, yeah, that's so you're, you're including the people who've got a second dose. I know that. Yeah, yeah. But, but that's vaccinated. In, in the UK, they have 40 million done. Uh, we have 270,000. I know, but when you add first and second doses, we're almost hitting a million. Yeah, but it's you know, like what they're doing this week is a bit of a PR exercise. That is the millionth uh, vaccine. It's still 270,000 and we're going into the fifth month of the year. I was down there yesterday anyway in Parky Keith and I got vaccinated and um, I'll give you my thoughts on it. I went down and you think the county final was on because there's so many security guards around the place, you know, uh, and then you go in and you think you'll be out in 10 minutes or a half an hour. You won't be. Uh, it'll take an hour and a half to get in and get out. It's very slow. And um, and you have a 15-minute sit-down afterwards when they, when they observe yeah, you in case but, you pass out. The big, the big joke of it all is really, in the digital age, they're asking you your PPS number, your mother's maiden name, but all that could be done no, online. No, 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 but they have to confirm that you are who you claim to be. Like you, yeah, when you present, they have to ask you a question because I could be you. Yes, I know that, but sure, all the form filling could be done online, I think, anyway. And then just confirm and send a, a text to your phone and then go back and say, this is me, you know. Uh, I, I think they're going doing it from the end of the month, but uh, it's like we are living in a digital age. Put it up online when you go down, flash your text, and you're in and out. But it's too slow. And there was big numbers waiting, like they must have put 500 people in at 10 past three. You know, and like you're not supposed to be gathering people together. I thought, no, it was cumbersome, slow. You're going up five sets of sta- steps. I think one woman collapsed and she was taken to the hospital. You do know you're, you're given an option to take the lift. Yeah, you are. Maybe you are. But I'm saying if you were never down in Parky Keep, you wouldn't be able to find the lift. You know. Uh, ah, Vincent, come on, man. As somebody who's been well, down there, somebody says yeah. to you at the bottom of the stairs, are you okay to walk? There's a lot of flights, or do you want to take the lift? My point is this, and it's simple as this. No, but Why be fair I, to the people working down there, please. Did they not say well, that to I you? Will be. I will be. I, I will be fair, but I'm saying, again, it, it's the HSE are running all this. 
uh, if it was a private company, I'd say you'd probably have about half the staff and about 100% more productivity. The, the like, security's private. The security's private. I was there an hour and a half. In my opinion, you'd have four people done in that length of time. Four. And uh, the other point, the, the main point is, why pull me down or pull people down to Parky Keeve at all? When I can go to the lovely people in my local pharmacy in Denny's Cross and go down to Katrina and I'll be in and out in two minutes and they have all my details, the whole lot, you know? It's a far simpler, more personal and localised way, you know? I went into the vaccinator yesterday. She, didn't even, she, she actually didn't even greet me. I said, hello, how are you? She didn't greet me. I was just like another number. If I went down to Katrina in Denny's Cross, she'd say... Hello, Vincent, how are you? You know, how are you, how are you keeping? Because I'm going in there on a regular basis. I think it's a big mistake. Well, there's, there, there, is, there is no excuse for, not, for somebody not greeting you, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think now yesterday, uh, my experience of Parky Key yesterday, uh, and I have worked in business and retail, and I know, I know uh, my onions, as they say, and it's, it's not efficient, and it's only a very average service. I know there's people listening now and saying, ah, he should be delighted to get the vaccine. That's a typical old Irish way, Crockett. Let's do it and do it right. Give it to the GPs, give it to the pharmacies to give out, you know, locally. Yeah, GPs and, do have and, it, and GPs are giving it out in their surgeries. They are. Yeah. They did about four or 500 yesterday in Parky Keeve. To me, if you want to open up the city quickly, let's do it 24 hours. Let's keep the thing rolling. Do a couple of thousand a day. And let people walk. If they, if they had it, they might. Yeah, but, like, here we are now, right? 13 months yeah. later. Um, yeah. And we're, at least firstly, we're talking about the vaccine and vaccinating people. Okay, there's disharmony within the ranks with regards to the teachers and what have you and, and the yeah. change. But at least we're at a situation where we have somebody on the air saying they're not vaccinating fast enough. They could do it faster. You know, three or four months ago, we weren't talking about this at all. So we're getting there yeah. slowly. We're moving through we, this, you know. We are getting there slowly. I agree with doing it by age. I think it's a good thing. But then you come back up. I came back up into the city, right? And I parked the car in the evening around half past five on, on Patrick Street. And like, you get, you look around, you get depressed. I went home and you look up to the phone. 11 cases of the virus in Cork. Yeah, 11. I, yeah, whole yeah. city shut down. The whole county shut down. Yeah. Like, Ivan Yates, I know Ivan Yates quite well, and he said recently, and he's bloody right, oh, we're all in this together. We're not. Because if you're in a retail business, a publican, or a hotel, or hospitality, you're a ghost. But yet, if you're in the public sector, or another, in pharmacy, and you're, you're, you're making a fortune. You know, it's only. It's only well, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say everybody in the public sector is making a fortune. Certainly not, not those on the lower they're, tiers. They're working and they're, but like you look at hospitality and you look around, stand inside in Patrick Street, you would get depressed looking at it. You know, it's it's like, you know, eleven cases and a, a very slow cumbersome dishing out of the vaccine. Okay, just I on that point with your experience at the vaccine, Eileen. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Neil. You wanted to pick um, up on Vin. This is, this is his impression. He witnessed what he witnessed. Yes. Your thoughts, please. I was below in Parky Cueve yesterday to bring a family member down. Um, and first of all, the amount of security, even though there weren't so much security, but they're actually very, very good because they guided us into where we need to be. They were so, so good. And then when I got in there, the person I take care of can't walk very far because of his illnesses. So they actually gave me a wheelchair. 
they brought me to, they pointed me to, in the direction of the lift. I took him up in the lift. There was someone on the other side waiting. They gave me a place to wait. We weren't waiting. We weren't even there two or three minutes, I'd say. We were waiting. And then they do the interview, you know, the, the questions about your, your, your mother's name. PPS and mother's maiden name, yeah. Yes, yeah. It, 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 well, but hold on a second, Vincent. Hold then on. We left, then yeah. we left there. Yeah. We we were there very long. We were sent down a corridor. We were brought in again to um, where uh, the person was looking after was getting the vaccine, and he was asked the same questions, obviously to reaffirm that he was the person who we were supposed to be. Um, and we left there. We were brought out and sat. Um, we had to sit down for fifteen minutes. And once the 15 minutes were up, we were guided back out again. They were so, so good and so, so kind. Guided us back out again, sent us back. I, I had to go back around then with the wheelchair to hand it back because it was near where the car was parked. And uh, we were in and out 40 minutes. There is no time when you're down there from start to finish when you are not being looked after in the sense that there is always somebody there to guide you or to tell you what to do. Every but of course, if somebody there. is in a wheelchair and they need a wheelchair, Surely be to God in this day and age, that's normal practice. What I'm talking about is when I went in into the uh, vaccinator, there's many people today, I've said it to you before, they can't actually greet a customer or a, or a person. Okay. She didn't even say hello to me inside there. No. But I am saying, I'll offer my services free. I'll offer my services free on how to greet a person to the HSC if they want it. But what I am saying is, getting, a, getting all that stuff for people that's par for the course being 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 nice to people that's what I'm saying it's 400 is oh, not, okay you're questioning the amounts and you're questioning the people skills of no, some people uh, okay. so, yeah uh, I have skills. to say one, hold on and, and, a second hold, sorry no, one second they were nothing but nice to us the whole way I, no, as I said the person they take I, care I, of I'll take your point wheelchair. Sorry, no, yeah. he needs a, he, he doesn't need a wheelchair, but he can't yeah. walk a, a distance. So That's lovely to hear, but how, I mean, like, yeah. how would you feel if you went in there as Vincent and said, hi, how are you, and you got no answer? Exactly, exactly. And that's part, there's something about the HSE that if they think they're, they're, they're kind of, there's a kind of a, even in the hospitals, there's a kind of a high and mighty attitude. Like, I'm a vaccinator, I'm a doctor. You know, one of the most important oh. things in life, in my opinion, is communication. If you can't communicate, like, communication is one of the most important things in life. Okay, okay. That's what I think. Yeah. Hold on there a second, Marion. And it, it costs nothing to be nice, but I must say that no, there were no, nothing no. but nice and very, uh, you know. Okay, hold on, Eileen. Marion, were you there two days ago, was it? Hi, Neil. And? Uh, they were amazing, to be honest. I suppose we all have different, we all have different experiences, but my experience was they were amazing. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm in a walker. I have used a walker for a long time now. And I, a man came out and asked me to drive on the wheelchair and I said no. And I went up in the lift and gave my details and I'd be high risk for, and I have history of anaphylaxis. Right. Uh, so there was a doctor and nurse in the cubicle and two more doctors came in and double checked the ingredients in both vaccine and the and the the medication that I have anaphylaxis to. Yes. And they never took their eyes off me. They, there was no delay. They double checked. They brought me out and sat me down. I never took their eyes off me and kept me for about over half an hour more. Did you, did you think that the process was very slow? No, not at all. Vincent feels it's too slow. 
An hour and a half. Oh, I, no delay. I was there, I was there no an, hour, an hour and a half. Yeah. But oh my God, no. I, well, I was no, probably I, an hour because no, of, they were watching me because of my history. Yeah. But no delay whatsoever. Okay, okay. That's so nice. nice. We and were in the first place, but I experienced And can I just, can I, did, did any of you had a, have any reaction to the vaccine? No, not uh, me anyway. No, the person I take care of didn't have any reaction. And how about you, Marion? You weren't fluey or fevery uh, or I the shivers or shit? I a little bit off, but I have a lot of medical underlying conditions, so okay. I wouldn't take any notes of that. I mean, I'm up today and I'm... I'm fine, really. You're flying like as if you never had yeah. it. Okay, yeah. good points. All right. Well, the last point, Neil, is yeah. that... In a way, you could nearly give out the vaccine inside in your car, rolled down the window. But you couldn't really because people have to be monitored after it. Yeah. You can 15 minutes at least. Well, if you have any history of anaphylaxis, you have to be monitored for at least half an hour. Sorry, I can't hear you. I'm talking about people that are healthy and well down the line. It doesn't matter. Everybody has to be monitored for 15 minutes after. 15 minutes, exactly. Okay, well, Vincent's suggesting they should be monitored in the car. Okay, thank you all. Thank you, Vincent, as always. Thank you, Eileen. Thank you, Marion. Lines open one 850 And I'll stay with that, actually, to line two, hopefully. Let's see if we got John. John, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Okay, so Marion, Eileen, Vincent, all have an opinion. What's yours? Well, I was down the last Thursday for vaccination and right, it was very slow and I was there an hour and a half. But I found this app very pleasant and very polite, to be honest with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, when I did I get the vaccine, I, she said hello to me and I said hello to her and there was no panic. We had a bit of chit-chat. There was, there was no bother. In and out, in and out in how long? An hour and a half. But it was slow, no, I must admit. But I mean, you know, there was a good queue there. The biggest problem there, I think, is that they have about 20 names for the one, for the one time. Yes, they may have 20 names for the one time, but they have plenty booths to vaccinate all at the one time. So that's probably the reason yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah. But it was just, it was just slow until you got up to the, to give you information and stuff. Getting up to the stairs, it was slow. But after that, you just, we were gone in, in 10 minutes. It was okay. slow as was getting into it. Like. There's a bit, it's a bit of a haul though, isn't it? From the car to the injection. It is, yeah. But I mean, you know, it's all the way around the exterior of Parky Cueve. You end up walking the entire complex eventually. Yeah, and you walk around the whole way to get back into your car. And again. the other part of it to get back, yeah. 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 So apart from it being slow, no other issues whatsoever. No issues whatsoever. Okay. Any side effects? No, thanks for God. No, nothing at all. All right. Okay. Thank you for that. Good luck to you. Thank I think you. we have to stop focusing on the negatives. Better times are coming. We must stop looking across the water at the UK. They still have 60 million to get a second dose, and they have a long road ahead still for June and July. Really? There's a lot happening in the UK from next Monday with regards to opening up. Uh, But we're not far behind them and uh, maybe even we might catch up by then. If we followed their lead from the start, we would have twice the death rates. Uh, They have one of the worst death rates in the world. People, stay optimistic. The second half of the year will be great. Regarding the vaccine rollout, can you believe my husband, an Irish citizen who's currently working in India on a business visa, is getting his first dose of Astra? today. He was unable to travel home in March. He made an appointment with the GP there for routine prescription renewal and they said as he was coming in they'd have given the vaccine as well. He didn't request it. He was told everyone coming to the practice is being vaccinated regardless of age, regardless of medical condition. He's 55. It would have been at least September before he'd got it in Ireland. He's due to travel home in May and he'll be fully vaccinated at that stage. 
vaccinated in India. I just want to ping in and say I've been a courier driver since August and I think it's odd that we aren't going to be vaccinated earlier because we're always in the front line handling thousands of packages a day and we are of course essential workers. I feel us delivery drivers should be vaccinated alongside other essentials like shop assistants and people in the trades. But since uh, but since we're going by age, I probably won't get vaccinated till at least August. Love the show. Have a good day. Two or three more. Am I wrong here? But as far as I'm aware, the vaccine is there to protect against the severity of COVID. Even with the vaccine, COVID can still be contracted and passed on. Well, you are right there. It's the vulnerable should be vaccinated first, regardless of occupation. The government have everyone confused and turned upside down by this rollout. Uh, all they're trying to do is deflect from the fact that they don't know what they're doing, says Wayne. And one more. My neighbour's 74. She has COPD, autoimmune disease. She can't get a date from her doctor. She lives alone, has been struggling with loneliness for the past 12 months. All of this seems just so, so unfair. And don't even talk to me on the amount of text and communication regarding teachers. Pick it up on 1850-104-106 after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. And we come an awful long way in many regards with, say, this time last year or this time two years ago when city council were hassling businesses because they were putting sandwich boards outside their door trying to encourage people and they were fining them and then charging them for tables outside in the outdoors uh, and then along comes COVID and all of a sudden all of the city centre is being pedestrianised and all of the cafes and the bars and everybody like that is being encouraged to put tables and chairs out they're even giving the streets away to them now I mean what a difference a year makes, big time. Uh, actually, very interesting uh, coming in from the Glanmire area this morning by email. I went down to Leedling Glanmire this morning at 10 minutes to 8 as I'd seen that they had some garden chairs going on sale. When I arrived, there were already dozens and dozens of people queuing. I was about to walk away but decided for pig iron to wait and see what was going to happen next. And lo and behold, the doors opened at 8 a.m. and scores of people stormed the store. And they all filtered into the one aisle at the back of the shop, all where the garden furniture was. Within seconds, like a shoal of piranhas devouring a seal carcass, the shelves were empty. People were acting like balubas. I couldn't believe my eyes. Some with trolleys, using them as battering rams. Absolutely no social distancing and zero security. This event confirms to me the imbalance which has been evident throughout these lockdowns. Big supermarkets allowed to sell whatever they want with, that, with limited controls. And I've noticed now people queuing and congregating in the aisles. However, small mom and pop stores, say for instance a florist, are forced to close down while the big supermarkets are allowed to sell flowers. Supermarkets, in my opinion, should have security on the door, allowing a limited number of people in and out only selling essentials. Regards, says Jerry. He doesn't say, although I believe he didn't manage, to snaffle some of the garden chairs that were on sale, but it begs the question as well. So should supermarkets be selling garden chairs? Shouldn't that be out to, down to those that sell outdoor furniture? But anyway, that was the deal this morning. When I, and, and again, you wonder, do you know these, they have these offers and you, you see them and you know that they're going to be there. But how many of these offers actually enter into any one shop? Like you wonder how many garden chairs were there? Clearly not enough for everyone to get one. Um, and then for those that do, do that have and those that have not, I'm not terribly bothered about the, about the actual story itself because it went before the courts and um, this guy went to jail for a period of time and he now has been struck off. Um, he's a consultant radiologist who was secretly recording people, strangers, colleagues and family friends. 
he was filming them in, in, with his mobile phone. He was planking it in different places in the toilets. And he, he, he went to jail for that. It's a story from Northern Ireland. Um, and then there was a tribunal, a medical practitioner's tribunal, where he was erased. They called the sanction erasure, which means that he's struck off. But part of, it, part of his defense amazed me when I was reading this because part of his defense when he was arrested, he said he couldn't remember if there was footage or memory sticks because he'd been suffering from psychological and financial stress. But the judge then, when he was sentencing at the time, said that the monthly income coming into the house, the house of this, the, into the home of this radio consultant radiologist, that the monthly income was £150,000 a month. Not a year now. £150,000 a month. Is that the kind of money that you'd make as a consultant radiologist these days? Or is that just in the UK or indeed in, in Northern Ireland? £150,000 a month. Or maybe that's not all, his, not all his. Maybe his partner or his wife is also a consultant radiologist. But whatever way, there's over £2 million coming into the house Every single year. There's good money in that. Sit up, pay attention in school, boys and girls. And, uh, you know, a lot of money to be made. Anyway, lines open at 1850 104 106. Uh, and back to the calls and texts we go. Yesterday I had a conversation with um, uh, Ashling. Um, and this is a conversation with Ashling that's been replicated in many homes these days with children uh, who have special needs and can't get a school place or go through through the primary section of their education only to find when the parents turn around and say okay now we need to look to secondary school they're told terribly sorry but there are no places now for your child anymore but we will give you 20 hours homeschooling off you go that prompted a lot of texts which I will read between now and quitting time hopefully but um, it did prompt calls as well amongst the man Marie good morning hi Neil how are you so listening to Ashling was like listening to your own story yesterday was it um, I suppose Ashling is a mother um, in Cara Junior School where my daughter attends as well. Yeah. And um, it's very worrying for us as parents what they're going through this year. Out of 14 leaving Cara this year, only seven have places. So that's seven families with no school in September. Yeah. And the, the only option they're given is home tuition. Now, our daughter Katie is leaving next year and we know there's 17 kids leaving. Um, Cara Junior School and there's only probably going to be 10 places in Skulltria Heartbreaking like, isn't it? It is heartbreaking like if we look at Skulltria this year there was 30 applications and only 10 places so that's 20 people who didn't get the appropriate education setting for September coming and what are them kids going to do? They're forgotten in the system Like, So we, that's where the homeschooling comes into play and that's not satisfactory to parents well, we have no option B. If Katie doesn't get into school 3S next year, we're going to be told we can home tuition 20 hours. That's no good for us. She runs out the door. She loves school. It's not just about school. It's independence. She loves the cookery in school. Absolutely. She loves it's hugely social. Hugely social. And like, what's very frustrating as parents is our kids go into the educational system and they're there how many years and there's there's no plan at the end. It's just mind boggling that there's no like there's so many kids just lost in the system. Where do we find twenty five, maybe thirty billion euro for COVID when we couldn't find that kind of money for our families and our children? 
And see, Neil, it's not just happening this year and next year. It's every year we have a problem with special needs placements for people going into secondary school or even primary school. Is it that they're over? Is it that they're just overwhelmed with diagnoses? Maybe. Well, I suppose when you have a dual diagnosis as well, like Katie has autism and she has a moderate learning disability, some schools aren't an option for us and they won't accept maybe moderate. Other schools are oversubscribed, like Cara Junior School, you have to leave when your child is 12. Um, Other special schools in Cork, they're up to 18. We can't apply for them. They're going to be full. Like You're you're not going to get into them because they're there till they're 18. So, um, what do we do? And the, the homeschooling, the 20 hours, that would be for a number of years, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be for her whole secondary school. Like, if she doesn't get in next year, how is she going to get in the following no, year? No, what I'm saying, is there a chance that she might slot in in second year or third year? Or? No, sure. Like, if you look at this year, at seven kids who didn't get in, next year, our numbers are higher of kids leaving Cara. And the following year, the, the kids can't really slot in when there's no space even there for the people that are leaving in the current year. You I know? think in years and to come we'll look back on this if it ever improves and say, why was this tolerated? Well, it hasn't, it hasn't, nothing happened the last 10 years. We're, we need change. Like, April is awareness for autism and you can see My Boy Blue on Facebook. They're putting up stories every day now of people who, who don't have placements and it's lovely to see the faces of these kids we need as as parents we need the government to do something absolutely need, because it's the we most need vulnerable special school in Cork it's the you most know? vulnerable that need the most um, no disrespect to anybody's son or daughter don't get me wrong but don't the vulnerable need the most care attention and encouragement so and that I they so that they with their spectrum issues get to to shine and to blossom and to thrive and for Katie, she's non-verbal. If we, like, when we get a letter next March, it's going to say yes or no that we have school yeah, I know. in September. Yeah. Yes or no. How can we explain it to her? She's non-verbal. She doesn't understand. She's sitting at the door with her car seat and her bag and her back and running out to the bus. I morning. know, misfortunate. Uh, like, so. I actually don't know where we can, what we will do next year. Uh, no idea. Okay. You right. know, and like our kids have a, have a right to education. Okay, it's I want a fundamental right. You know? I, w- I want to squeeze in um, uh, an interview I did as well, if you don't mind, Anne Marie. So I'll, I'll just pick up on the interview because it's it isn't unconnected to what you're talking about. You know, with regards to World Autism Day and what have you. But thank you, and I wish you the best of luck in September. All right. Thanks very much. But sometime back, I received an email from a mum who was at her wit's end trying to look uh, look after her child uh, on the spectrum with autism and. That led to suffering daily physical attacks. Um, and that email then prompted a call from other people, including Amanda. You know, talking about daily issues with regards to us. Uh, there would be tantrums or there would be meltdowns. Or the, it's, it's, all part of, it's all part of the condition, to be honest with you. But it prompted a call from another mum, Amanda, who herself was having similar issues. Um, and I caught up with her last week. Amanda, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Thanks so much for getting in touch. Do you mind if I just recap on a few of the points that were made by email um, from this mother who finds herself in a very worrying situation with her daughter? Is that okay? Yeah, no bother. Uh, her daughter is on the spectrum with autism and uh, this is a typical day where she would collect her daughter from school and be physically attacked um, as she's particularly driving the car, pulling her hair, screaming. Um, the pain would be unbearable. Um, on one or two occasions, she's got from the back seat to the front passenger seat and the attack continues. She would kick the doors and the windows of the car. Um, she uh, recently had to replace the 
kitchen and get a new kitchen because her daughter, when she'd have a meltdown, um, literally wrecked the kitchen. Uh, she would kick holes in the wall with her legs upstairs. Um, the mother is guaranteed to be kicked and bitten and pinched at night time. She's a big girl for 11 um, and her mam genuinely doesn't know how long more she can keep this up and was wondering if there's anyone out there could get to give some help or direction. Um, with, is that what prompted your call, that you could help? Have you been there? Um, I'm actually still there. I have a daughter, 14, um, fine child now as well, fine girl for her age. And she'd been very late diagnosed at eight because it's actually harder to diagnose in a girl than it is in a boy down to hormones. Um, two weeks ago, my daughter had an episode, um, this is the first of many episodes now, and I had to put her into the car um she don't like anything. Like she can't touch anything. Like it's all tissue paper, no touching things and stuff. Um, and she happened to hit her hand off the handle of the door, so I sent her off. Um, I had to put her into my car, drive a, a good. Di- I was out driving for two hours. We were trying to calm her down. Does the driving calm her though? Yeah. Uh, well, like that now, she was hitting her head off the glass in my car on the windows. I didn't even think that I'd have a window. Like, I thought she'd hurt herself off the window. She was screaming for a full hour. And then we just got talking about not knowing general, just silly things. And she calmed after an hour then, but I still was out another hour and a half. So I was out about two, two and a half hours all told with her. And does that happen often? Um, well, we were doing very good for a good few months because it didn't... She's not in school. She's home tuition. Yeah. Uh, so she's a very good tutor that takes her every day from two, uh, 10 in the morning until 2 yeah um, she's fab with her uh, but just this day now she just came in and like we went months without having an episode yeah and since this kicked off two weeks ago I had another one for the last two days um, just non-stop like banging uh, hitting herself um, screaming crying um, and the services are non-existent um, I would be involved in services because I thought I had to fight for years to get into services. Yeah. She would have been on medication, but it wasn't agreeing with her. Um, so she's not on anything right now. Um, there's just like nowhere to turn. Like when I heard that mother this morning, like it was, I just, it was like listening to myself. She said, um, I am tired. I often wish to disappear, but I wonder if I did who'd look after my daughter. Uh, we applied for yeah. home support. Um, and were turned down. I think the reason was given that the family wasn't in crisis or something. She said her no, behavior- every family with a child like this is in crisis. Yeah, I would have thought so. Yeah, but when you look, what kind of home support would she get? Well, um, what I guess, um, I guess a Tuesday and a Thursday for two hours. And that's kind of to bring out for a walk, maybe do a bit of artwork and stuff. It's kind of like to give you a break, kind of get your stuff in the house done before she'd come home and you'd have them two days, then you'd look forward to them. They'd kind of yeah, be long. I know. Two yeah. days, if that makes sense. She says her, her behavior is so dangerous, she will hurt herself someday and she may not survive it. She pulls her hair out when angry. She bites. She bangs her head off the ground, off doors when in a meltdown. Uh, if it were I've got all that as well. Yeah, and and then she also referred to the fact that her daughter was on medication, which was prescribed, and it had no effect whatsoever. And she's on waiting lists for psychiatric services. It's, it's yeah, a, and the psychiatric services. She'll be on that waiting list for a long time. 
But e- even from the point of view of her driving, which is quite dangerous if this is happening when she's driving, would would parents with children who are on the autistic spectrum or perhaps with Asperger's or issues like that, are they not entitled to a HSE-appointed transport with a care assistant or a chaperone to and from school? You would think so, but then if you go about that, the problem is with that, they're telling you there's nothing available in your area or you're just not entitled to it or they, they'll always have something. There's always something like that they come back with, you know. Like every door you knock at will be closed in your face. You're painting a very negative picture of it all. It, it, it is what it is. And have you it been? A, have you is. also personally been at risk uh, yeah, I would have been attacked and stuff, yeah. Yeah, I would have had my hair pulled out. I would have been pulled by the hair. I would have been um, punched, kicked. I would have had to sit in my kitchen floor and also my husband had to do it um, and kind of hold Sophie's hands on like in the fetal position um, to stop her from hurting her basically like because she was she would hit her head off the tiles and stuff. It's very upsetting for her, but it's upsetting for you as a mother to have to observe and wonder, why is all of this happening to my beautiful daughter? Yeah, yeah. And then, like, like there's sometimes, there's recollection, like, and, like, last night, you now with the incident, and our dad spoke to her afterwards, and, like, she came down and she apologised to me. But, like, she don't see it like I see it, and she only came down to apologise to me because her dad was after going through what, when she calmed down, what was after happening. Maybe she can't ras- rationalise what the no. apology is about, you see the misfortune. No, they don't. And then when they go into these rages, I call them, because that's what they're like, um, they don't, it's not, it's, it's like they're not even your child, if that makes any sense. You don't recognise the girl, your daughter. No. And do you worry no. about the future as she grows into womanhood and gets older and into her 20s and 30s and the rest of her life? I actually, I actually really do, yeah. Yeah. That even upsets you even thinking about it now. Yeah, it actually do because it's just heartbreaking and it's like there's no one wants to know. Like there's no, like they say services, but the services, like they're non-existent and I'm not the only mother that would tell you that. Like, um, they're just like, they don't, they, they're there, they just don't work and if they do work, they're overcrowded or they have too many, you're putting on, you could be on a waiting list for like 12, 13 months if not longer. And how has the last 12 months been and everything we've gone through with restrictions and lockdown and people at home? Well, I think that has had an awful impact as well. Um, I wouldn't say it made it any... No, it did make it worse in a sense that everyone was at home and like she was at home all the time and everything she wasn't used to. See, routine is key. Yeah. Like Routine is key. They get up in the morning, they know where they're going, they know what they're doing, they know who they're going to be with. They and like order routine, and routine, and when they don't have the order and routine, of course, they're like a fish out of water. They don't know how to react. Yeah, they don't know what to do. Like, and it's it's, it's just heartbreaking to look at it. Like, it's heartbreaking. And do you have any calming? Do you have any calming techniques, or is that something you do? Well, my new one now, the last few months that's working for me, like, would be the car, but I don't get her into the car that easy. Like, I, I remote, I take her out of the house. But, like, she don't get into the car that easily. She'll probably, like, she'll fight me and say, I'm not going in the car. Or, no, I'm not going. And you'll say, just put on a pair of shoes there and don't come on me, go out in the car. And, you know, like, I, like that That one two weeks ago went on for an hour, like, and she was uh, hitting her head off the passenger window and everything. Well, I was trying to drive and hitting me and stuff. But you just, like, you just get out. Like, you, do you know what I always says to myself in my own head? I'd be like, 
do you know they're not long more they're not long more and you do because you just come around and you just start talking about silly things it wouldn't even be something just silly things and just bring them out of it then and she'll, you'll see her calm and then eventually the email from the mum says that she exa- she is exhausted and you and cannot describe the tiredness is it the same with you yeah yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, like, it's 24 hours. It's not just, like, it's not that you put your child to bed at night and that's it, you're done, you know? Like, it's 24 hours work. Like, it's not, you know, if that makes sense, like. But have you ever, I mean, she speaks about wishing to disappear. Part of the email said that if it were a partner or a husband, you could divorce them and walk away. But because ultimately you love your son or your daughter, you can't. Um... You know? I I would I would never say that about her because I would never ever ever be able to do it to her, but I could understand why someone would feel at the end of their tether and would feel like that. But just because a mother would feel like that with a child like that, don't mean they want to do it. I know, I know. If that makes sense, like, oh, I mean, you can't help the feelings and thoughts that come into your head. You don't always re- you don't always act on them, but on on a no. bad on a bad day, God knows what will go through your head. Yeah, and it's like it's like it's just it's it's just it's it's, it's, it's traumatizing for everyone in the house. Well, for me as, as a parent, I, I, I'm not in that situation. Don't get me wrong, but I, I probably would be thinking a lot about the future or my son or my daughter when I was no longer around. You know, who would mind them? Who would know them? Who would understand them? Yeah, that, like I'd be very like that now because even though Sophie now, even though she's doing work, Grace. It would be like, say, second-class working, and as they say, our tutor is very good. But, like, then, like, I'm more worried about, like, can she count money? Can she tell the time? It kind of be more socially now. And do you hope that as the years go by that the tantrums or the meltdowns, I shouldn't call them tantrums, they're not, they're obviously spectrum-orientated meltdowns, that they'll be less and less and that she'll have a more calming life, do you think? Well, I hope so. I would love to see her getting on with her life and... I know, look, it's not going to be all rosy in the garden. Everything is not going to be normality, as what we'd call it. Our normal would be different. But I'd really, really like to see. I've, I, I, I've planned that I would have had. But when your child gets diagnosed with this, like, I don't know, it's, 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 you know what it's like? It's like you've get, you, you've to learn. It's like having a new child again, even though you don't. But it's like just you, you just have to learn everything. If that makes sense. Well, I suppose it's not supposed to be this way. No, no, and then like you're taking on a whole new role there as well, like with what you have to learn and how you phrase things and how you say things or how you touch things. Like I could go into her room and just clean the windowsill, and she'd know I could put something back in the exact same spot, like, and she'd know, and that could trigger oh. a major meltdown. Then I have tremendous admiration for you and other parents like you. I have to say, do you think by talking to me like this that it will give her some comfort to know that perhaps she's not alone can you do any more than that because all what you're saying to me is um if you're looking for services or help you'll be waiting with cams yeah yeah mr it's, it's true not only with cams with said uh, co-foundation it's everywhere every door you knock on like it's a long long waiting list um then you're told then like if you're really in crisis uh, go to your uh, nearest a and e um like I read, you know, it, you feel very lonely and very isolated. And when I heard that woman, the email you read out, it was like, like you know, you're not, you know, you're not in this on your own. I know. But ninety nine percent of the time, you feel that you are. 
And when I heard that, they actually had to, I was in the car, I was in the afternoon to school when I actually had to pull in. Because I just, I was like, it was like, she was telling my story, if that makes sense. It does like, make we probably sense. all have the same story, yeah, but yeah. like, it was like, oh my God, kind of thing, you know, really, like, kind of taking me aback because it's something that's so personal to me and stuff, I suppose. Listen, thank you so much for sharing. I hope she takes some consolation from my conversation with you in the sense that she isn't alone. But one message, I suppose, is to keep on, um, you know, making noise with regards to services and help and not take waiting All lists. I can say is fight, fight, fight. fight. Yeah, yeah. And the fight will go on probably for the rest of our lives for our children. You said it better than I ever could. Thanks so much, Amanda. Thanks for taking the call. Thanks very much. Thank you. Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7am and wake up your weekend with music, chats and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revens. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. All right, big, big response to a lot of different topics this morning, which we'll come back to between now and midday. But at the off there earlier this morning, I was referencing the, new, referencing the newspapers, and I promised that I would catch up with uh, Ralph Regal, Southern correspondent with the Irish Independent, and the man who literally wrote the book on the topic I'm going to talk about now. The book is called My Brother Jason, The Untold Story of Jason Corbett's Life and Brutal Murder by Tom and Molly Barnes. And it's a story and it's a death and a murder that keeps on giving this story. Um, and this morning is, is no exception. And um, Ralph joins me by phone. Ralph, good morning. Good morning, Neil. And as you reported in The Independent yesterday and overnight now, the two of them are now out, uh, Jason, they're now out on bail pending a retrial. Why? Essentially because the, the, the North Carolina Supreme Court last month um, voted by a very slim majority uh, to quash the original conviction. So for your listeners, um, Jason Corbett was found beaten to death in the bedroom of his home outside Winston-Salem in North Carolina uh, on August the 2nd, 2015. Now, he'd been beaten to death with a metal baseball bat and with a concrete paving brick. Uh, his father-in-law, Tom Martins, who's a retired FBI agent, and his second wife, um, an, American, uh, an American girl from Tennessee, Molly Martins, um, they said they had killed him, but they did so in self-defense after alleging that Jason had been attacking Molly in the bedroom of their home. The police launched an investigation. They believed the facts didn't gel with what the father and daughter were saying. And in January of 2016, the father and daughter were charged with second-degree murder. That trial began in July of 2017. On August the 9th, 2017, Tom and Molly Martins were convicted of the second-degree murder of Jason Corbett, and they received 20 to 25 years in prison. They immediately appealed at Neil. It went to the Court of Appeal, and by a two-to-one, again, a very slim majority, um, the judges found that the defence's ability to mount uh, an argument of self-defence had been compromised or unfairly restricted by the trial judge in terms of his refusal to allow certain things to be entered into evidence. What were those certain things? I mean, I've been reading a lot of your copy on this. Had it to do with evidence that was given to psychologists by the children or something like that? Yes, there were three core things. Um, One was to do with forensics and in terms of the testing of blood spatters um, which had been relied upon by the prosecution. And the blood spatter evidence was absolutely central to the prosecution case in that, um, like, Tom and Molly Martins had 
claimed they acted in self-defense. Both were found totally uninjured at the scene. They didn't have a cut. They didn't have a bruise. They didn't even have so much as a carpet burn on their knees. In contrast, Jason Corbett was pulverized. Um, a pathologist couldn't even count the number of blows that had, had been suffered or sustained in, in the area of his skull. I mean, the back of his skull was virtually crushed. But don't you say in the book, you say that actually, you talk about no sign of injury on either of them, particularly her, no scratches, yeah. no bruising. You say that the body was cold, that they possibly waited a long time before they called 911. Um, and, 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 you know, things like, certainly, and that you, you reference as well that he may have had her prescription medication in his body, that he was actually asleep when it happened. He, he, yes, and it, 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 there was evidence given that traces of a, a tranquilizer or a sedative that had been prescribed to Molly Martins just three days beforehand were found in Jason's system. And Dr. Stuart James, who was the blood spatter expert who gave evidence, expert evidence at the trial, he said that an analysis of a blood spatter on the mattress indicated to him that that's where the attack began. In other words, that Jason was in bed and asleep when the fatal attack commenced. But the Martins consistently maintained they acted in self-defense despite a lot of those, the blood spatter evidence, the, the, the medical evidence, the scale of injuries to Jason Corbett, simply not gelling with their version of events. But what they laid a lot of emphasis on was statements that were given by Jason Corbett's two children, Jack and Sarah, who were, I think, 10 and 8 years old at the time. And though the children were in the property at the time of the fatal attack, they were upstairs asleep in their bedrooms. And I think a couple of days after the, the, the attack, they were taken to a place called the Dragonfly House. It's a social services agency in North Carolina. And they gave statements to social workers about the nature of the relationship between uh, their father, Jason, and Molly Martins. Now, Molly Martins was their stepmother, their their birth mother, um, Margaret Fitzpatrick. Um, she was from Limerick. She had married Jason in 2003. Uh, they had uh, Jack in 2004. They had Sarah in 2006. And just a couple of weeks after Sarah's birth, Mags suffered an asthma attack and mm-hmm. tragically paramedics were unable to save her and she died in the November of 2006. But the children gave those statements to the Dragonfly House. There was a major custody battle over the children. and um, Molly Martins was trying to adopt them. She was also seeking guardianship of them. But what is interesting to note is that Jason married Molly Martins uh, in June of 2011 but he steadfastly refused over the next four years to sign adoption papers which would have given her equal rights to him to the children and his family maintained this was for a number of reasons firstly she has a history of mental health problems two there was increasing concerns about her erratic behaviour and at times her obsessive um, dealings with the two children so he had refused um, requests to sign adoption papers on her behalf And his family maintain that this wasn't uh, an incident of self-defense. It was Jason being deliberately targeted in a custody row over the children, and particularly because he was scheduled to bring the children back to Limerick uh, within a couple of days. That's right, that's right. Now, with regards to uh, the conviction of second-degree murder, they were sentenced to 20 to 25 years in prison, and 
automatically started the appeal process and you've outlined some of the reasons why they're entitled to an appeal. Why then am I hearing about a plea bargain? Explain that. Yeah, the plea bargain arose um, for a couple of different reasons. Um, the, the, the district attorney in Davidson County, Gary Frank, who was the man who brought the, the, the original successful prosecution of Tom and Molly Martins in 2017, everyone in Ireland, except the Corbett family, I'm, I'm sure, assumed that once the Supreme Court quashed the original conviction and rec- ordered a retrial, that there would be a retrial. But that's not the case. Once the mandate for the Supreme Court was issued, it reverted back to the district attorney in Davidson County, and it was entirely at his behest whether there was a retrial. Now, I spoke to him two weeks ago, and what he explained was that he had to take into consideration a number of factors. He had to take into consideration the report of the Supreme Court and the reasons it gave for quashing the conviction. But he also had to take in other factors. And the primary one of those is that there has been a massive impact on the trials process in North Carolina by the COVID-19 pandemic. There are between 20 and 22 manslaughter and murder cases backlogged because of COVID. And the concern is that a retrial in this case would have an inordinate impact on the trials and the, the, the logistics of the judicial system in North Carolina. Now, obviously, the Corbett family said they were appalled by that. They said, you know, Jason Corbett was as entitled to a trial and his killer is being brought to justice as any other person in North Carolina. But I think from the prosecution's point of view, the original trial took five weeks from the selection of the jury to the sent- the conviction and the sentence. And the concern is that now that the Supreme Court has said that the statements made by the children are admissible, if they are brought into the context of a retrial, you could potentially be talking of, of a retrial lasting anywhere from six to eight weeks. But is it, is, it, is it definitely going to be a retrial perhaps next year or is that plea bargain where they be out maybe for time served or a little bit more, is that still on the cards? No, it looks as if the plea bargain it's is off. gone. Yeah. Uh, Gary Frank, who was the district attorney, allowed seven days for a consideration of the plea bargain and that deadline expired yesterday. And certainly the legal teams for the Martins have said they are planning for a retrial. Uh, the district attorney has basically said he is no longer commenting on the case because he is in pre-trial mode, gotcha. all indicating that they are now preparing for a retrial. Gotcha. And the next thing, of course, will be in that retrial, um, both children, Jack and Sarah, will give live evidence, will they? Well, that certainly seems to be the indication, and that's very much what uh, the family are pressing for on the children's behalf, because the children did not give evidence in the original 2017 hearing, and the statements that they made to Dragonfly House were not admitted for the very, the the reason that, that Judge David Lee cited was that he had two sets of statements. He had statements from the children in North Carolina in August 2017, which said one thing, and he had statements from the children when they had returned to Ireland just a couple of weeks later, which totally contradicted and recanted material that was in the North Carolina statements and his view was the fairest thing to do was to omit both series of statements. Now that was the core issue of challenge by the defence teams and both the Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court in North Carolina found in their favour on that issue. So what we're expecting to happen now is that the defence will push to have the Dragonfly House statements included in any retrial scenario 
And in response to that, certainly the children have said to the family that they want their voices heard, that Jason was their father, and they want now, they are now in a position where they want to give evidence about the events leading up to the tragic death of their father. And it is believed that the prosecution, the district attorney, will offer the children's evidence as a counter or as a rebuttal to the Dragonfly House statements. Yeah, because Sarah has been very um, public about this on, on social media um, and, you know, she has said an awful lot on it. I mean, have you had an opportunity to find out how the family are feeling, like, say, Jason's sister, Tracy? Yeah, Tracy, I think they're very much... It's been a very, very tough week, or very, very tough month, I should say, for them. They're a remarkable family. They have handled awful things with incredible dignity and they have been very much single-minded in their pursuit of justice. Their sole priority is the protection of the children and the delivery of justice for Jason who died in appalling circumstances um, five years ago. So six six years almost at this stage. So they have consistently done everything they can to support the district attorney and the police in Davidson County. And I know that they were absolutely appalled and shocked to hear that a plea bargain could even be under consideration. So it certainly is a relief to them from what I understand that the plea bargain is no longer part of that equation. But obviously it is very trying on everything from an emotional level to a logistical level for them to plan for a whole trial process. Essentially what has happened to them is They've had five years, almost six years of non-stop judicial and legal turmoil surrounding Jason's they've also, death. They've also had Molly Martins right on social them. media, haven't they, to deal with? Yeah, the social media stuff has been, I mean, there are a lot of positives about social media, but there are times when social media, to be honest, can be a sewer. And some of the things that people are capable of posting on social media is simply beyond comprehension and the family have suffered a lot through some of the material that has been put on social media now they've been very vociferous because they have also countered uh, a lot of the stuff that's being said and their view is that that their son their brother their uncle that that, that Jason was not only brutally murdered on August the 2nd 2015 but that there had been repeated and scurrilous attempts to destroy his character and good name as a result as well. That's right. Now Molly Martins was far from a, a model prisoner while she was in prison. She's out now with her dad Tom. What's life going to be like with them finally? Because they'll be out for a considerable period of time. I mean where will they go? What will they be able to do? Uh, they're going back to their home. They're probably there already, Neil. I mean, they were released um, very late Irish time uh, from Davidson County Jail, which is located right beside Davidson County Courthouse, which is where they were convicted of second-degree murder back in 2017. So they were both released um, from custody separately, and they were both wearing prison-issue leisure leisure clothing or sports clothing, primarily T-shirts and, and, and jogging trousers. Um, Molly, I have to say, was the one that looked substantially different to how she looked when she first went into custody back in, in 2017. Tom looked older, but he actually looked quite relieved. He was the only one who spoke uh, on, on, on leaving custody. He was greeted by members of his family. His sons were there. His wife was there. And the only thing he said to waiting reporters was that he was just glad to be going back to his family. Okay, will you as a, as a journalist and an author attempt to speak with them? Is this something that you would possibly do or travel to talk with Tom and Molly Martins? Um, I can't see any question of travelling out there, but we've certainly done quite a bit with um, with the legal teams for both. So Doug Kingsbury is the lawyer for Molly Martins, 
and uh, David Friedman and uh, Jones Bird are the two lawyers for uh, Tom Martins and we've quoted them extensively in terms of the defence position and what they see coming in actual fact I think there's a story on, on the independent website later today very much setting out what the defence see as the next thing is going to happen in terms of the case but but I don't see myself travelling out there to talk to the, the father and daughter Okay now. well let's see what uh, the independent.ie has this afternoon but just very finally then so if, if, if and when well when it does come to court in a retrial is that 12 months time 18 months time two years time I would say you're talking at least 12 months Neil I, I can't see okay. this I mean I've, I've been proven wrong on aspects of this case before but I'd be very surprised certainly the legal teams for the defence said they do not they have no court date um, on the near horizon their view is that stuff is going to happen in this later rather than sooner and all the indications are that there won't be any question of a retrial certainly not before I'd say the second quarter third quarter of uh, 2022 Good stuff as always we're right up to date now and thank you for it Ralph Regal Southern correspondent of the Irish Independent he's also the author of the book My Brother Jason The Untold Story of Jason Corbett's Life and Brutal Murder by Tom and Molly Martins and you should pick up a copy of it if you haven't read it already. Back after the break, text 0868104106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. Okay, between now and midday, Seamus Whelan has a vox on the streets of Cork with regards to the teachers um, and the vaccine or indeed this possible vote for all teachers in Ireland to vote as to whether they should go uh, on strike or take industrial action. I'm annoyed with teachers not having a live class as per the timetable. My son is in first year secondary school. He might only have one to two live classes a day. Another one, Darren says, why can't teachers be live for all of the classes? Uh, another one, if anyone should be praised for teaching this year, it's the parents that have given up their jobs in order to be at home and teaching their kids with little assistance from teachers. I know three schools that didn't have any Zoom classes with students until two weeks before the kids were going back to school. Uh, another one, we're all at risk. We all have PPE with each profession and safety equipment. Like, what about supermarket employees going to work dealing with the public? I have respect for teachers, but it's the same as other professions. God loved them. And yet we don't hear the till workers in supermarkets moaning or postmen and postwomen that have been knocking at more than a thousand doors a day for the last year because they're getting the hell on with it. Not so sure that it's very fair. Uh, you know, I understand what you're saying about uh, workers in supermarkets and Lidl and what have you. But knocking on a thousand doors, I mean, it's very hard work and it's very important work. But I don't think they'd be interacting in the same way as a teacher might be. Uh, I agree. Teachers have lost the majority of the public support. They want to be classed as frontline, but they don't, they don't want to go to work, says Paul. I work as a carer. I've been working since the pandemic started. Hospital staff, shop assistants have dentists, couriers and many more without proper PPE. No complaints from them. They just get on with it. Teachers have not followed suit and the public knew this would happen. That's why the public have lost respect for teachers. Uh, Please tell the teachers to form an orderly queue. It seems it's the teachers who are running the country. Um, The pharmacy attendant is behind plastic sheeting. So is the shop assistant. Teachers aren't behind plastic sheeting. When my daughter was teaching from home, she was at her desk from nine to five as some children needed extra help and extra resources prepared and forwarded to each and every one of them. People saying that teachers don't want to work is nothing short of a disgrace. I see firsthand how hard they work. Don't paint every teacher in school with a beacon brush. Uh, I think all those people slating the teachers on the morning program would spend their time better fighting to get their elderly parents vaccinated. Um, 
My sister-in-law's motor neuron has not received a single notification of about a vaccine, but yet all we hear are teachers complaining. Can I please say teachers are not frontline? Do they think they're on the same level as doctors and nurses? Uh, I work in a supermarket. I have to deal with hundreds of customers every day. I don't hear anyone say that we should be fast-tracked ahead of the precious t-shirts. They're the most selfish, pampered and self-serving crowd ever in this country. They make me sick. No doubt I get blamed for these texts. I always do. Teachers are not in the same danger as supermarket cashiers. Why can't teachers move classrooms instead of the pupils every 40 minutes? Um, teachers have an opportunity to give back a little to society and help the hundreds of thousands of people who are working from home uh, and working on the front line. The one group are completely ignored, of course, the kids. The welfare of the kids should be paramount. Uh, there's a risk everywhere at the moment. Supermarket staff are 100% more at risk. The ASTI have behaved deplorably during this pandemic. Boris Johnson announced the schools in the UK were back on the 8th of March and there was zero resistance from the UK teachers' unions. Never heard them in the British press or the British media. Our government are just too weak when it comes to teachers and they have been for years. I'll just come up for breath for a while because literally you wouldn't believe the amount. I'm, I'm endeavouring to find the ones that are in support of the teachers and when I do, I will keep reading those out as well. So... Between now and midday, I'm going to squeeze in as much as I can. But, you know, we've been different, looking at different sections of society and different sections of our beautiful city and hearing stories um, of, uh, you know, aspects of the changing face of Cork. Now, I know it's been much to do with the city, the Keys, Horgan's Key, the developments and the old uh, property that was owned by uh, Irish Rail and what have you. And also the sky rises and the spire going up and, and stuff like that. And recently I talked about the Douglas area. Lovely conversation with you, for you, with a man by the name of Chris. He's got an organization called Save Our Bride Otters. But it's a lot more than just that. I am, of course, talking about the great area of, of Blackpool. And Chris joins me by phone. Chris, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, and I will get to the Bride Otters, of course, because we're talking about the Bride River that runs right through Blackpool and way out the Commons Road, incidentally. And it's out there. There is this beautiful old, old, old stone bridge, which goes back at least 200, maybe 250 years. Is it to be bulldozed? Well, it depends on which bridge you're talking about. The bridge, uh, there's a number of bridges. This is under the Blackpool Federal East scheme. There are a number of bridges to be either replaced. The Twin Arch by Fitzesboreen, you know? Yes, Fitzesboreen. That bridge is to be removed. Um, there's a picture of it, actually. I put it up there on my Twitter page or the Save Our Bride Otters Twitter page or both Facebook and Twitter. So if your listeners, they can get a look at it there. Saw it. Saw the videos um, as well. Beautiful. Yeah. Yes, we did that uh, during, um, we we're doing auto surveys along the bride there. And I took the, I always take pictures because I, I, I think I find the pictures give you loads of information of, of stuff that's been done in the past. So I took the opportunity to take a couple of pictures of the bridge while I was down there. Now, they're not used now and very much overgrown, but there was a time in the history of the area when there wasn't a Blackpool retail park and there wasn't all of that huge development in that Commons Road area, aren't I right? It was just open fields countryside. Field, yes, yes. Well, I'm a blow-in. I've only been here 12 years, so largely my information has all come from looking at old photographs and from looking at maps. Um, and if I actually have, uh, I came across two excellent pictures there taken, two aerial uh, pictures taken by Kevin Dwyer. Uh, back in 1998, and it just shows the beginnings of development on the pole field and the beginnings of the bypass yeah, yeah. Um, uh, taken from both uh, the south of the site and north of the site. And you can still see the Thumbbank Bean Complex, which is now long gone uh, at the top of the picture. 
Um, so, yeah, massive amount of development in that area. Actually, the very short period of time, all up to the north of that site as well, all up along the river um, between 1997 and 2007. So those very old bridges that we're referring to were part of a network of small roads, rural roads and lanes. Uh, that well, people... this is boring, yeah. The, the, these bridges all, you see, the thing about the bridges is uh, the landscape around them, well, the river itself has changed while the bridges remain, you know, and of course, uh, the impacts, the, the, the bridge itself, this is boring. Uh, one of the arguments put forward for its removal is that it's a restriction to flow and um, would cause flooding upstream. Um, so that is proposed for removal, but the, the landscape has actually changed above that. And if you look at all the old maps of the area, um, there's an excellent site, Geohive, and you can actually look at a number of different maps. And you'll see on those old maps of Blackpool that much of the area running along the Bride, along the banks of the Bride, is marked as liable to floods. And much of that area is now developed on, or the banks have been risen significantly. So you can see how uh, a bridge that was once not a problem uh, becomes a problem because but, but, of the water that used to flood out onto the banks and be no problem now is concentrated in the ba- in the river, and um, consequently, there's much more of it. But I thought the proposal was to bulldoze this ancient one or a series of them or replace them with modern ones. Yes, that is the plan for that bridge. According to the confirmation drawings, that that bridge is to be removed and replaced with a modern open span bridge. And there's another bridge uh, further north, an old bridge as well, also to be removed. Um, And there's a number of other bridges to be removed as well. There's... there's, um, there's a number of, there's two kind of ornamental bridges in the Blackpool Retail Amenity Park, and one of those is to be removed as well. But is there the a playground to be lost as well? Uh, I'm not sure about a playground. I know the amenity park will be, the, the, the amenity park, which is in private hands, it belongs to the, the Blackpool Retail Park, as far as I'm aware. Okay. That will be significantly impacted because there is a massive trash green to be put into that. A massive and what? Will be a what? Trash green. Trash green. What's that? A trash green filters out trash, basically. So it stops. You see, the plan for the Blackpool flood release scheme is to extend the culvert system. So we already have a culvert of over a kilometre running between Blackpool Village and the city, where it flows into the Lee and the Christie Ring Bridge. That is to be increased. The length of that is to be increased further upstream by 350 metres. Okay, so... The to stop large items from being washed into that culvert system. A trash screen, yeah, I get you now, I understand it now. So with all of that going on and the trash screens and the moving of bridges and the bulldozing, what's the ecosystem that uses that river and the area of land around it? I mean, you do talk about otters. Is there otters and more? Oh, there's loads more, yeah. It's hard to believe, really. And the, 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 the river used to be, my neighbours described to me as, as having run red and purple and all kinds of different colours because it would have had um, dyes and, and various kind of uh, waste dumped into it over the years. Actually, I was looking at a picture from the 1940s. Um, there's a set of really good high-definition pictures online. Um, I can't remember the exact source of them at the moment, but you can actually see stuff being running into the river, kind of a white substance. I'm not sure what it is, but um, it, over the years it was polluted. And um, it's bounced back, and it's um, it's a really healthy little habitat. Uh, there's fish in there. I was, my daughter fish and I Fish, I'll be darned, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's brown trout, and there's... Uh, you, sometimes you'll see kids fishing. I haven't seen it recently, but there's kids fishing. We were looking at the retail park yesterday, uh, and we could spot loads of them. Uh, so, of course, if there's fish, there's other things preying on the fish, and one of those is otters. And we have a very busy uh, otter habitat in Blackpool and proud to say that we have more 
or I'd like to say more artists in the city, the city centre. Um, there was a survey done in 2011, 2012, of which there were 11 artists uh, identified using the waterways around the city, and eight of those were moving through Blackpool. Isn't that amazing? And is there a risk to all of that, to the trout and the otters? Well, yes, the, the, the scheme itself, the, the, the impact according to the Environmental Impact Assessment Report is that the impact is permanent, significant and negative. So to fisheries and to otters and everyone, I guess everything else that uses the river. So you, it, the impact will be devastating and permanent. Yeah, you see, the Baldy Barber in Blackpool says, do we save the otters or let people drown or see people's well, houses destroyed? Have you ever been flooded? It does. I always get that question. It doesn't have to be either or. You know, we can look after both. You know, there's, there are other options on this scheme. There were another three options at least, and one of those was upstream storage. And I believe that is what we should be looking at. See, I'm not a fan at all of bulldozing anything to do with our history, you know. No, I don't think so. And Blackpool has had enough of that. You know, if you look, in, if you look along the, um, uh, the Blackpool bypass there, you'll see two statues. There's one near the brewery. that's stainless steel. And there's another up near the uh, junction with the North Ring Road. Uh, and there, both of those, if you read the plaques underneath them, both of them make reference to the River Bride. And, and what we're ha- what's happening is that we're ending up with plaques and, and no river. Yeah, um, yeah. So you have this Here stands a plaque where once was a river, is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's ludicrous to me that the plan to cover over uh, the bride... Blackpool sprung up on, on the banks of the Bride. It powered the mills of industry. And here we are covering up yet more of it. And you'd wonder, is, is that a trend that's just going to continue upstream until eventually there is nothing left in the city anyway? Um, it, yeah, just to me, like it's an old-fashioned technique. It's out of date. We need to be moving forward and trying different methods because it's just too severe. It's just too damaging. And it doesn't leave... Blackpool Village itself will have no River Brighton anymore. And um, I, I just feel it's unnecessary. And I feel that there is a much better option okay. uh, that will not only protect Blackpool from flooding, but it will also uh, leave us with a river. Okay, I just wanted to make people aware it's important to be discussing these topics and I appreciate you for taking the time to stop by. Have you got a, a website or a Facebook page where you, you, know, you post a lot of yes, these photographs I- and videos? I have both. I have, uh, we have, well, it's a, it's a, it's a team effort now. Basically, I, I've been, uh, I have a, uh, a Twitter page. It's called Save Our Bright Otters. And we have a Facebook page, Save Our Bright Otters. We go Sobo for short. Save Good Our stuff. Bright Otters. Good stuff. Thanks for taking And there's lots of information there. There's lots of photographs and details about the River Bride in All Blackpool. Right. Okay, as we discuss the changing face of our city and suburbs. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate you taking the call. Thank you, Neil. Thanks Next so week, I hope to delve in a little bit more into different topics of, involving our city, including dereliction and the amount of derelict buildings and what have you. So more on that, I imagine, and probably at this stage will be early next week. Uh, back after the break, text 0868104106. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850 Morning, Neil. You should be talking more about the GAA apparently not being held uh, to the same level of accountability as the rest of society. It's only laughing at the rest of us in society who are adhering to the rules. We're all suffering through not seeing loved ones for over a year now. And for the same group of elitists to think the rules don't apply to them is infuriating. Let's make it clear here. Playing a game that lasts for 70 minutes does not make you an elite athlete. 
This is not only an issue with the inter-county teams. You can find anywhere up to 20 clubs in Cork alone training any weekend. The government needs to take control of the issue now and say no adult amateur contact sport until a large percentage of the playing population are vaccinated. I doubt this will happen, though, as they would risk being unpopular with a large percentage of the community. Uh, don't give them my details, as I'm a proud member of the GAA. Wouldn't want to be treated like a pariah in my own organization. So thank you for that. It's, uh, it's, it's all about the vaccine, isn't it, really? That'll be the game changer. And also, there'll be big changes. And this is which will, this will, will prove, if it's not already proving divisive, the changes that you'll find for people who are fully vaccinated versus the changes you will find that won't be happening for people who won't be fully vaccinated. I may well come back to that uh, tomorrow. But for now, and I know I've tried as best I can, either myself or others, to explain exactly what will happen when you go down to Parky Cueve. But the, West, the best way to do it for you is this. Fiona Donovan from the Red FM newsroom went down, spoke with Aoife O'Connell, who's the assistant coordinator of nursing, and they're heading up the rollout of uh, the vaccine in Parky Creek. So this will give you an indication exactly of what will happen as you head down and exactly what happens. All right, Abinasht. When the people receiving a vaccine arrive, they will come in from Monaghan Road. Um, they'll park all the way around the building. Um, then they will be ushered to come in through the marquee entrance. Um, once they get to the marquee entrance, their appointments and everything will be checked again. And then they'll come up to the, us on the second floor and that's really where the journey kind of starts. So in the reception area, they will um, just log that their details are correct and then they'll come down to the vaccination booth area. So in total, there's 30 vaccination booths. We won't be using them all to start off with um, this week, but we'll be upscaled um, as we have vaccine. Um, they People will go into a booth where they will be met by a vaccinator. Um, again, they'll, their consent will be gained and they'll be given the vaccination. And they'll then go to the observation area for 15 minutes to make sure that they're feeling well. And then they can go home. Um, so they'll just leave the building, go back out to their car and drive out again through Monaghan Road. So don't be nervous. <laughs> we want to see everyone come through the doors as happily as possible. Um, and we're trying to make it as smooth as everyone needs it to be. Um, they can find Find information on the HSE website, um, which is probably the best place to get accurate information. And um, they will receive a text message from their appointment, which will highlight everything that they need to know before coming anyway. And it's a very simple process in replying to that. And then they can just turn up on the day and hopefully it'll be very smooth. There has been an awful lot of work. And again, that's a huge team of people. Like it's huge. It's fast. It's from the tradesmen to the medical side of things to the port. It's literally everyone that you can think of. But the recruitment is a big process as well um, and even the stock and getting logistics to the different sites is huge the the vaccination itself um, is stored in a fridge um, and it comes we're starting with it coming in the mornings and um, for the days that we're working here the general stock so the um, bigger things like wipes and everything like that that will be delivered generally um, a day or two beforehand and um, before we're opening so for tomorrow we have our stock on site and we're ready to go um, and that top-up delivery will just continue to happen from now now on. So as much as possible we'd be encouraging people to come on their own. Yeah. We will have staff on site um, to assist people where, where needed um, and if it's necessary for somebody to bring somebody with them, yes they can. Um, but like I said, we're trying to keep the flow as clean as we possibly can so where possible to try and come on your own um, and there will be staff um, to help you throughout the journey. Mm -hmm. It's great like it's so exciting and I just think that the, the atmosphere and the buzz in the building to even get to this point 
point has been great and it's certainly ramping up kind of the last kind of week or so so the whole team is really excited to get going and get people through the building as much as we possibly can and as long as there's vaccine we'll be vaccinating all right so that's um from parky Cueve. Uh, st- staying with sporting type related matters i think it's absolutely um I know we use the term disgrace an awful lot, so that doesn't even impact anymore when you use terms like that. I'm not so sure that this is COVID-related, this carry-on, because I hear about it all of the time for years, but I'm certainly hearing more of it, damage. I'm certainly seeing more of it, drink. I've certainly uh, seen photographs and videos, and with my own eyes, people's own litter that they leave behind them. It's all very well saying that you're entitled to a bit of outside time and you need to be able to meet friends and everybody's fried from all of this. I understand all of that. But bring your junk away with you, you know. Don't be leaving it behind. Anyway, this is a lot more than just taking your junk with you. There's a circular being distributed now uh, by the club, Riverstown Football Club, the soccer club, uh, FC, down in Riverstown, Glanmire area, where they wrote to all of the uh, members... Um, and they outline what's happened to their facilities uh, over the last number of weeks. They say um, the facilities are closed and haven't been in use. But since St. Patrick's Day and over the Easter, they have seen crowds of people, teenagers, congregating in the grounds. Uh, and they've, uh, they put it mildly by saying suffered significant damage and vandalism. But when you break down what has happened to Riverstown FC, broken glass on the grass playing surfaces, broken bottles in the car park, Fires set on the new car park, which has only been recently completed. Protective netting slashed. New fencing bent and broken. Hundreds and hundreds of beer and spirit bottles on the facility's grounds. Litter covering the entire facility. Locked goals twisted and bent to breaking point. And they said the damage is not being done by outsiders, but by people from our own community. As a result of this damage, we will need to spend your club funds correcting the damage, cleaning the facility, erecting new fencing, evaluating the need for CCTV. We've also had to get the guards involved. And then I see photographs of the damage that was done. And it's just, it's depressing. Pages and pages of it. Absolutely depressing. It's one thing to be going bushing or drinking. Bad enough to be drinking spirits at such a young age. But to be vandalizing and damaging and just wanton destruction... That's not needed if you want to go for a few bevs, you know. You don't have to go that far. I mean, it's probably even too much to ask you to take your junk home with you if you're the kind of person that trashes a football club. But there you have it nonetheless, you know. It's just absolutely heartbreaking. That's Riverstown Football Club in East Cliff in Ballinglana area. Let's open one 106 Just back to the issue of teachers and support of teachers at home. Helen, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Because it's uh, it's it's overwhelming negativity, unfortunately. But go ahead, anyway. Balance things for me, will you? It's I like I can only speak for the school that my kids go to, but both of mine, I have someone in third year and fifth year in Mayfield Community School. Mayfield, yeah, big school, uh, yeah, yeah, Mayfield. And I can honestly say they're second to none. They have been absolutely amazing. All classes run according to their timetables. Like they're they're online from nine a.m. Uh, they have their scheduled breaks as as if they were in school, and they finish a course at four the same exactly the same as if they were physically in the school. Well, that's they amazing. Now I haven't heard that all that often. Yeah. Well, they they do and they do it right across the board. Uh, on top of that, so they have they, a different class at the same time all day, as opposed to a couple of classes a day. 
No, no, they have as if now the same timetable as if they were physically in school. So they have each class the exact same as their timetable. So, uh, like for example, if they have maths from nine till twenty to ten, and then the next class for the next forty minutes, okay. you know, and so what, they have their okay. Well, in, in the fair play to them. They're, some would say they're paid to do it, but they are doing it in fairness. So, what, what they do you? Are, they're what, paid to do it, but it's a lot harder. I'm a tutor. I'm an adult literacy tutor myself, and it's definitely more difficult to do it online than it is face to face. It's yes. a lot more work because you're trying to keep them engaged. Okay, well, with the prospect of them going back and not wishing to go back unvaccinated and threatening a strike, uh, what do you make of that? I can understand it. I can, as a tutor myself, I can understand it 100. percent It's it's ridiculous because, uh, like a lot of a lot of kids need that. So, as as a tutor, you do look at uh, your class as you're discussing a topic or whatever. You do look at faces. It's hard enough to pick up with some kids uh, what they seem to be having difficulty with. This is going to be more difficult with masks on. So you're going to have to try and go to, and, and you're not going to call out a student from the top of the class, oh, come here, Johnny, are you having difficulty with that there? You're going to need to have but, to go. But I know, but on, from the point of impact of COVID, a lot, an awful lot of teachers are young. Uh, and the impact on them is entirely different to an elderly person who would have to wait longer if a teacher, if all teachers get vaccinated. Yeah, but a lot of those teachers that are young are living at home with elderly parents. Good point, yeah. yeah. You know, like, it's not even just Mayfield community. My sister Sarah has three kids that are going to Skull Padre Pio up in Churchfield. And they've been amazing as well. The support they gave her for her kids, and I presume every other child in the school, because like they wouldn't kick out certain kids that they'd be good with. They've been absolutely amazing as well, like changing apps that they were using because they see that some kids this app might suit them, but it mightn't suit other kids. So they endeavoured to make sure that they chose apps that suited everyone, or left kids use different apps. Oh yeah, and oh, but that's when, that's while they're working. If they go on strike, they won't be working. How will you feel then? Uh, I can t- I can understand it absolutely because, as I said, yeah, a lot, a, the majority of teachers are young, but as I said, also they are a lot of them are at home, and they are going back to elderly parents okay. or you know vulnerable people at home, uh, sick people at home, people that are high risk. They're going home to them, so they have to, it's not just the classroom they have to think of. It's their own family. Yeah, pe- people people in, in supermarkets dealing with different people every day, um, they also go home. That's working, I think everyone that's working in supermarkets and stuff should get vaccinated as well. Gardi? Abs- ah, oh my God, they should have been uh, with the nurses and doctors. Okay, okay. Like, seriously. Okay, thank you for that. Much obliged and no supportive problem. teachers, particularly in Mayfield Com. Thank you, Helen. Lines open one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Seamus Whelan was out and about this morning. He was up around Holly Hill and from there to Douglas and from Douglas to Mahan just to get a broad consensus of opinion from people this morning. Speaking to people about the teachers' ballot for strike action and indeed the vaccine rail, roll, rollout. Let's have a listen. Well, I think there's twofold. One is uh, they were promised it, so that must be a you can't give something to somebody and then take it away. The other side is I think a lot of teachers kind of understand that if it's an age thing you know that maybe the age might go first um, I'm unsure I've got some friends that are teachers they seem to be a bit nonplussed about it you know so 
don't get to go and the, and the teachers. What's their life expectancy like? It's better than most people, so uh, it should be on age. And it should be on age and needs, but definitely the teachers don't need it. I, I wouldn't think that's right. My, my wife actually is a teacher, and and she doesn't believe that they're 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 right to to ballot. It's a stunt. It's a ploy. I think they are right because they're mixing with a class of young people and they might get infected, you know? So I think they should. Well, I think they're in contact with a lot of people, so, yeah. And a lot of vulnerable people, a lot of vulnerable children, really, I suppose, so I suppose they, they should be somewhere at least sorted by September, which they won't be, I suppose, if they're on the, um, the, the list of the age category, a lot of them really won't be. We were only speaking about this earlier on, would you believe it? And I think, personally, of course they have their rights and of course they're mixing with children and of course they're at risk. But what about the people who have, from the beginning, have been serving us in the supermarkets? That's what I think. And no, and they're at greatest risk from the word go. And nobody has, you know, they, they're not shouting. They, well, they can't, I suppose. But that's, that's just kind of my opinion. But I know I can see their point too. Of course, we all want to be vaccinated. Every one of us want to be vaccinated. But I think, you know, we're all a priority, really. I go with that and especially what you just said was the supermarket like I work in a supermarket as well and nobody talks about us it's frontline stuff you know we are frontline from the very beginning you know and teachers yes of course I think they have a right to be vaccinated but everybody should and we just need to take wait for it I guess I think they're absolutely not right I think it is a total disgrace and uh, everyone I know would feel the same absolutely not appropriate at all but they would say that they're putting them, their lives at risk uh, there's a lot of other people who've, who have been putting their lives at risk bus drivers people in the retail sector and uh, absolutely no way no problem with them being balloted however they're not going to go out and strike they're not stupid and uh, it's very cavalier of them to even suggest the way things are going in their favour they have that they were promised a deal and the deal has been reneged on but that deal has been reneged on for the general good and uh, consequently I'm not with the teachers on this one. Okay, it's interesting one chap there was saying and we had this earlier on this morning that it's all very well to ballot teachers as to whether they want to strike or not but how many teachers actually agree themselves individually about going on strike so we'll have to wait and see how that one rolls out. Just from this morning if the hairdressers open and nail technicians and nail shops everything else will want to open take a look at Brazil when it opened on hairdressing and uh, beauty I think Susan Ryan is fantastic for speaking up about this there should be more hairdressers and beauticians backing her up the people that are doing cuts on the black market are wrecking the mental health of those people who are sticking to the rules and guidelines. Uh, I know of two painters who are out working away. They're only doing inside jobs to keep out of sight. And yes, both of them are claiming pop payments. Uh, I have two sons in their 20s who love their haircuts. My son found an excellent video online and bought a pair of barbers hair trimmers online as well. I now cut both lads' hair and it is absolutely brilliant. One of my sons met his barber in town and he said, I see you got your hair cut, my son said. My mam cut it. So I must be doing okay. Can you ask Susan if she plans to not take customers who choose not to be vaccinated, I wonder? Okay, that's a question I'll ask next time around. I wonder also whether there's 
you know, an issue there with regards to hairdressers when they do open or beauty shops when they do open. Will it be only those that will be vaccinated? I think the, that's what Leo Varadkar was suggesting, wasn't he? Uh, all of us in business knew that Susan Ryan was never going to open when she said so. She's constantly talking about hairdressers on the black market and she knew she would have been fined or arrested. So why did she say she'd open in the first place? She had every intention of it, but one of the main reasons was because she got trolled and got threatened on social media. The frontline are the only ones actually dealing with confirmed cases. That definition does not apply to teachers, says Andrea. Interesting point. Those in frontline. Well... (laughs) Okay, I won't even go there because uh, there was a portal there available to HSE staff where those that weren't working and dealing with the public and would never meet the public or should I say patients or COVID patients got themselves vaccinated until they fixed that aspect of the portal. Anyway, lines will stay open, one 106 Sure, by the time this is sorted, the teachers will be on holidays for a few months anyway. I'll leave you with that thought. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.